Hey, good evening. You up all night tossing, turning, mind racing, trouble getting to sleep, trouble falling asleep? Well, game, uh, sleep with me is proud to present Game of Drones, uh, the Game of Thrones podcast that's here to put you to sleep. We do it with an episode discussion, then post-episode discussion. It does about does discussion about stuff I was curious about during the episode. Then after that, we'll have a visit from Sir Tommen and Pounce. Maybe he was banned from the show last week. And then I'll pray to the old gods and the new. If, if this is your first couple times here, or your first time here, you might be saying, "Okay, wait a second. Did you say uh, Game of Thrones?" Well, let me do the easy one first. Did you say Game of Thrones sleep podcast? I thought this was a sleep podcast. Well, yeah, Sunday night we do uh, Game of Thrones-related episodes. Uh, try it out, even if you don't watch the show. I, I have heard from people, this isn't a cir- What do they call that when you lie in court? Not lying in court. Uh, not circumstantial evidence. Primary source evidence, possibly. If I knew what that meant. I've heard that at work. They say, get a primary source. So, okay. Hey, March, they need a primary source over there. Okay. Yeah, I got, I got, there's something, uh, water fountains leaking. I got to go check that. Um, well, yeah, I've lost there. Sorry about that. Re- recreating something. Uh, so on Tuesday and Thursday, we have nine Game of Thrones episodes. Try one or two, see if they put you to sleep. If they don't, you can use the ones on Tuesday and Thursday. If you really need it, I can help you out with a feed that doesn't have any Game of Thrones. Ah, uh, but, but, but believe me, these are just as just as boring and lulling as the other episodes. But you don't have to listen to them. That's a freedom that people don't have in Westeros, apparently. If this is your first time here and you watch Game of Thrones, you might be like, "Wait, did you say a Game of Thrones pod- sleep podcast?" Yeah, I'm going to talk about Game of Thrones in a lulling, meandering way. Fairly boring, you know. If you if you say, "Hey, give me a you know." Give me a more critical version, but wicked boring, I'd say, if you wanted a critical version. Pointless, pointless meanders, carried off on the wings of pointlessness, like a friendly, fuzzy drogon uh, to put you to sleep. I'm going to talk about the episode and the other stuff, like I said. It'll take forever. It'll feel like it's not going nowhere because you can uh, go to sleep whenever you want. And, and the way it works is I'm going to create a safe place where you can set aside whatever's running through your brain, where I'm going to distract you. I was thinking, I say, usually I say, uh, what we do here is trans boredom. But I don't know, this week I was like, oh, wait, this is transportative boredom. If that was a word, it's not. I know I haven't heard from any, you know, I'm recording this Thursday. I haven't heard from anybody who heard Thursday's episode. I said, worrier, what did I say, worrier? Worrying, worrying, that's worrying about worrying. Uh, Transportative boredom is uh, when I, you know, I transport your focus outside of you. Usually I don't try to use guru-y sound and stuff, but this is already starting to sound a little guru-like. And if you listen back, you say, clearly this guy's not a guru. A guru who would just say guru, you know, a guru and try to rhyme with it as I'm doing my brains like one step ahead of me, believe it or not, saying, hey, don't you have anything other than underoo 
Uh, but yeah, instead of a guru, I'm a man who wears underoos. But it sounds guru-y, transportative boredom. What I'm going to try to do is transportate your, transportate, there you go. I just de-gurued myself there. Is to get your focus on what I'm saying. But not just your focus, all the other running commentary in your head. Or the running commentary from your body. I hear from a lot of people, their body is talking to them. They try to go to sleep. And they're suffering from some sort of chronic pain or chronic health issue or temporary health issue. And then, you know, then their their brain starts thinking about it. As, okay, I'm going to take your focus away from all that. But, I, you know, my, my taking your focus away is kind of like being called over. Hey, come over here, come over here, come here. Okay, yeah, I'm over here. What, what did you want? Oh, oh, I forgot what I called you over here for. Uh, but stay here while I try to remember. And but but you know the person that usually does it, they'd forget, they'd stop talking. I'll just keep talking. I'll call you. Over. Hey, come over here. Come over here. Hey, got something relatively unimportant to tell you, and it's going to take me tonight about an hour and forty-five minutes to two hours to do so. It'll be about Game of Thrones and Game of Thrones related stuff, and you know, fringe related. But that's what we do with our, you know, our uh, transportative boredom. I want to take your focus off whatever's keeping you up at night. That's the safe place. Is uh, I mean, I'm here to help. I'm your boyfriend. I've been, you know, I'm, I'm like, I'm kind of like Brienne and Podrick combined into one person without any of the tangible skills of Brienne. I talk like Podrick. I sit around patiently like Brienne. Like she's only patient when she's on a mission. And I'm full of ideas that maybe aren't so hot, like putting a candle way the hell up in a tower somewhere. Uh, so, hey, I love Brienne. I love Podrick. So maybe I should, I wish I could take that back, but I already said it. I'm a poor imitation of a Brienne Podrick hybrid. How, how about that? And I'm here to help you fall asleep. I'm going to try to distract you. I'm going to try to lull you. I'm going to carry you on in some metaphors. They're not going anywhere. They're going to take you on stuff that's not, like like if they said, hey, this is a life lesson light. Like you ever buy a light version of an app and you're like, man, this doesn't do, this is, they said it was life, life lessons light. And you say, Jesus doesn't really do anything. Uh, so yeah, it's light. Your life lessons uh, put me to sleep. You say, well, geez, they, you know, tie that in, buddy. That goes deeper than the freaking minds of uh, uh, other undercastly rock, you know. But uh, what was my point? I don't, you know, my point is to carry you off on the wings of pointlessness. Climb on my wings. They're furry. They're fuzzy. They're puffy. They don't smell like wet dog. They smell... Like, uh, kind of, you know, one time, this will be the last pointless meander to carry us through the intro, but one time I was at a store, and I said to myself, uh, uh, podcaster note, I've been, uh, when I was a child once, my mom tried using fabric softener, it gave me a rash, delicate skin I may have had as a child, so I never used fabric softener again. I was at some store like Whole Foods, not Whole Foods, and I said, hey, well, these are 100% natural uh, 
And they were on sale because usually they were like eight bucks for like fabric softener sheets, dryer sheets. But I said, hey, let me buy some of these. Give it a shot. They were basil and something else together. They smelled wonderful. And I said, geez, no wonder they charge nine bucks for them. I can't afford them when they're not on sale. And I forgot to even remember whose brand it was and what the basil was crossed with. But that's what the back of me smells like when you're covered, coming out of wings of pointlessness. Some natural byproduct of my boring meanders creates a lemony, basil-y, flowery bomb that, you know, with some chamomile overtones and some sleepy peppermint undertones, like, like, I, like I'm a corporate mascot for celestial seasonings, which I am not, because, you know, I'm working for the Bestros uh, Sleep System Group. You know, not, you know, just get on my wings. I'm going to carry you to sleep. I'll try to distract your fortimers running through your brain. That was my point. Uh, we're on web www.sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can uh, post on the website, messages, comments, they call them. Email me feedback at sleepwithmepodcast.com. You can give me a Twitter at Dearest Scooter. We have a Facebook page. There's also, if you go on the Facebook page or you search for a group and you want more private interaction with the listeners, other listeners, you can do that on there as well. Uh, Thus far, they have not staged any, you know, protests or anything, so I don't know. But that could be coming. But that's a wonderful thing. Hopefully people are exchanging ideas, you know, how to help each other sleep. But, yeah, so what else? Uh, we're, uh, you know, I haven't talked about this in a while because I never remember. We have a post office box, Sleep With Me podcast, P.O. Box something, Alameda, California, 94501. If you go to com slash S-A-S-E, if you send me a self-addressed stamped envelope, I'll send you some show notes, and you'll say, wow, this guy really is an interesting fellow. His handwriting is uh, interesting, and the way he outlines the show is uh, interesting, and, you know, I still trust him. My pity went up from his point one. 100 to 101, maybe. I don't know. It's fun. You know, we can become pen pals, boring pen pals. You can get some shows, and maybe I'll throw some other stuff in there, like some stickers or something. I don't know. So that's uh, sleepingpodcast.com slash SASE. If you don't live in the U.S., I got some international stamps, so don't worry about putting a stamp on there because they make it way too complicated. Uh, so I'll do it for you. If you have any uh, public transit stuff, tokens, which they don't have anymore, so, you know, like transfers or anything, you put them in there, I'll send them to my brother. He loves that stuff. Uh, public transportation ephemera, fancy word, that I did use properly, I believe. Uh, if you want to help the show out, best way to help the show out, subscribe to the podcast and whatever the easiest way to get it is which is a lot of these podcatchers, they automatically bring it to you. Uh, double check, I heard from uh, Amelia this week. Her, If you're using the iPhone, make sure you got an auto-download because it, it, it screwed up and it told her I was out of business or something. 
And she said, Scooter, what happened? You stopped making podcasts? And I said, I said, no. I mean, and she said, oh, whoops. It was a, so, well, you know, don't let that happen to you. And if you have a chance to review and rate us on iTunes, I'd highly appreciate it. It'll help uh, bring our uh, more people to podcasts. And, uh, you know, at the end of the May, make small talk with a stranger. That's our May pledge drive. Doesn't even have to be about the podcast. Just say, hey, how you doing? I say, I love those shoelaces or some. You know, you're probably better at it than me. But small talk with a stranger. That's it. I'm glad you're here, and I hope I help you fall asleep. All right, uh, it's time for my gra- gratitude time. Crone, sweet sweet crone, Miller Smith, Barky Jester. Uh, I cry. Let's see, I don't have any gra- gratitude metaphors wear thin, so I'm thankful for the metaphor I do have. Uh, that I use the Gratitude Express is chugging into the Godhead station, and it's going woo woo. Thank you, gods. Uh, you know, I don't. I can't do a super loud train sound because people are trying to sleep. As a you know, woo woo, I want to thank you for Chris Posty Poster. Since sounds like an earful podcast does our music. Woo woo, thank you, gods, for Scotty and Jennifer who do our artwork. Hey, Jennifer, sent me a nice couple of emails in the past week or two. Uh, I want to thank you, you know, for, for uh, I want to say thanks for uh, Laura and Alexandria who are doing the Facebook group. People, I guess, are having fun over there, so that's nice. I want to say a particular thanks for the last, last, the last episode. I want to thank Mizuzu, who let us use our pictures. It was very brave and cool to use them, and... Uh, Silvertone, uh, Yante, her buddy Rebel, uh, and Julie C. all submitted things. Julie C. was super brave. Actually, I don't think he's brave, but she had this wonderful picture of her in a ballet skirt. I guess they're called tutus. Somebody said, hey, those are tutus, not ballet skirts. And I said, well, isn't that the same exact thing? It's a ballet skirt. It's a tutu. Uh, but Julie C. was, was uh, she did not give birth in that that truck during Mardi Gras, though her her, her youngest child or whatever I think I can't remember the I'm terrible with dates so I don't remember but you know their child is named Gras Marty, so Gras no I don't know I couldn't think of anything funny there sorry Julie and I said she said well why didn't you say I was pregnant so she's I don't want you to get mixed up with Doc Brown being pregnant by Doc Brown. I want to insult the lovely Julie, who's been a huge supporter of the podcast. So I want to thank everybody. I want to thank everybody who participated. And then I also want to thank the innocent jewelry maker, whose name I didn't even write down. <laughs> who, whose name I didn't even take the time to write down. Uh, but who had that cool uh, pendant. And that's the cool thing about it. I didn't even realize with this Silvertone hashtag, is we're going to get strays in there, which is even better. So thank you, Jewelry Maker. I can't even remember. I think it was it looks like the elf from Lord of the Rings, but I'm not positive about that. Also, I think over on Twitter, Cheryl C., Jonathan B., LP, Erica D., Cheryl and Jonathan are new on Twitter talking to us, so that was cool to hear from them. Over on Facebook, we heard from, the, we heard from Kevin K., the official... Uh, you know, medical provider of the podcast. 
uh, the official registered nurse of the podcast. I forgot I guess it's going to mean and ask Kevin K. Maybe I did. I said, geez, they had another thing other than RN. I know there's like a nurse practitioner and then there's RN. But in Florida, when I was with my mom, they had something else too. Uh, I can't think of it though. And I said, geez, what's that? And then I said, Another nurse I'm going to be apologizing to. I should think of another nurse apology. Well, not be another hospital worker in apology. Uh, you know, mom, hopefully, is, mom, sorry, my mom's screaming at you. She's in a lot of pain. So, you know, like I said, those people at the hospital are wonderful. And, Kevin, I don't know how you nurses do it, but I'm sure you do it with, with, with wit and charm. Uh, so, on Facebook, and then Kimberly. Emily, Emily is making small talk with a stranger. Oh, yeah, iTunes reviews. I want to run through uh, the latest iTunes reviews and the international ones. I want to thank uh, Law, Lahine, Lalawan, Lala Shine, something. Uh, says we're the Zolpoderma podcast. They, they were skeptical at first. That's my favorite. But then they said when their brain bots were suddenly like, uh, oh, wait, yeah, we don't have a sleep button, but we'll listen to this lunatic. Uh, they say eight, uh, eight quadruple, a lot of pluses. I don't know how many pluses, but very nice, long. Said we're kind of like, we're just as ham, we're kind of like organic table tomatoes if tomatoes were addictive. And then uh, Sarah Beth G says she'll never sleep alone again. Um, now the exclusive boyfriend, so thank you. Thank you, Sarah. My honor. And then we have AWK 16288. Another droid, another brain bot taking the time to review us. I mean, this is what happens when you're brain bot entertainer of the year. You get brain bots saying, must review podcast on iTunes. So boring. Plus, they don't, they don't have a sleep button, so it's like... Uh, but they said, hey, this podcast is fascinating. It took three or four episodes yeah, to get into it. But, you know, it works. So thank you, AKK162088. Does compute. Uh, next up from Australia, Pike, Pikelette, Pike, Picolette, Picolette, I think is it. Picolette, Jantapuncolette, Picolette, thank you for your review from Australia. Says we're whimsical, rambling, charming, and they're impossible to get a, uh, to the end of. So thank you. Our effective cure. Well, we got a marriage proposal in from uh, Australia, Bernadette, Jeffrey. But as long as there's no Joffrey in your name, uh, you know, thank you. And he said, but maybe she's posted it before. But, uh, you know, well, let's, let's uh, thank you. Oh, boy. Uh, Mortal Wombat 101 says we're a great podcast. Mortal Wombat 101. So they must teach more wombats about mortality. That's a sad job. It could be at some, uh, you know, high-minded school. Mortality of Wombats 101. So I'm going to write 201. The philosophy of uh, mom, uh, I want to say mombats. If you combine mortality and wombats, you get mombats. <laughs> Not really, but but thank you. Says they say we're a great podcast. Thank you, mortal wombat. 
And then we got a nice review from a nurse from Quebec. Uh, I say, hey, uh, je ne sais quoi. I don't know what that means. Où voulez-vous avec moi ce choix? So I know I've been to Quebec. I'd like to go there again. A lovely place, and thank you for your review. They use it, you know, to fall asleep after work, like we were just commenting on how hard the uh, medical professionals work. And that's it that I got here, so thank you all for your reviews. I really appreciate it. And God's up there in God land, you know, shine on these people, you know, like a godlike diamond. I guess you don't, uh, you know, shine some God juice on those people, all right? Thanks. All right, so we're talking about the gift, and man, <laughs> the idea of this episode was a gift. Oh, man. Served on a granite platter in some sense, or a granite altar. And, uh, you know, spoiler alert, I'm not going to, you know, if, you know, it'll be spoiled as this goes on. But, man, what an episode, especially after last week. But still... But, you know, a lot of, you know, great episode. Let's just get to it. What do you say? So it starts out with a close-up of a horse breathing and getting prepped for a journey. You say, hey, that's Jon Snow. I'm pretty, at first I was like, who is this, uh, Winter, you know, Winterfell? Staying in this, oh, no, it's Jon Snow prepping. We got uh, Tormund in chains as opposed to, uh, I think it was a 90s band, Alice in Chains. And uh, then he tore him out of chains. And John gives a command over to uh, Sir Alistair. How, how about that? I, I, can't, I said, as I was reading, I said, I don't know that guy's name. Please let me remember. And I did. The first ranger, I give you command to Castle Black or something. And he says, Lord Commander, my duty to tell you you're screwed and you're screwing up and nobody likes you. He says, I appreciate your honesty. And then Sam says, hey, safe command, safe travels, Lord Commander. I don't did we get a stand? I know Sam's is gone, so we didn't get any safe travels, Lord Commander. And, uh, right, you know, episode is named the gift. Right off, uh, multiple gifts given. You say, hey, geez, what are they, which gift are they talking about? And you say, gift number one, dragon glass. Sam gives it to John. Oh, I think it was a spearhead. Which he said, well, Jesus, John, one spirit, John, but we can try some dragon glass better than no dragon glass. Uh, throughout the scene, we had the potato kid in the background, a couple other kids, too, now. He's got some buddies. I don't know if they're from potato farms or another uh, root or tuber farm, but none of them look too happy. And then you had Dolores Ned, I think is his name, but Ned, I'm pretty sure, is his actually, he's with, he's like John's right-hand man in this situation. But he's looking pretty resigned and not too pleased. And then we have a baby in Amon, and I said, geez, I wish I was good at those uh, things, like a baby and old man. Not a joke, you know, like a... What crawls on all fours? I guess that's it, and walks on two legs and then has a cane, uh, a human. I think there's one of the riddles to unlock something that I could never get, so I par- poorly paraphrased it for me to be easy to remember. 
a cute, cute scene with Amon. He says he's calling the baby Ag, Ag, like for Aegon. Like, it sounds like Egg, like an egg-headed baby. I was like, is he saying Ag or Ag? But either way, it's cute, his little voice. And he says, oh, Ag, laugh like that. And Sam's like, like, Gilly hasn't been there the whole time. He's explaining things to her. And he's like, yeah, he was a king. And then Aegon's like, or uh, Amon, excuse me, is like, uh, oh, yeah, he was real jolly, jolly like this kid. And then it turns, and he, he, Amon gets all, so he gets take him south, Gilly Flower, get him safe uh, before it's too late. And then we have Sian going into Sansa's, basically her cell, her bedroom, where she's once again locked as a prisoner of a madman. And I was like, she may even still be in her poor wedding dress, and it's clear some time has passed. The windows are open, the snow's coming in, she has no blanket, and Reek, Sian's like sneaking around. And she she asks Sian for help, and he says, you know, she she, she says, it can't, you know, you gotta help me. It can't be any worse. He's like, oh, it can be worse, my lady. It can always be worse. And Sansa kind of tries a lot of different angles to get his help. You know, she appeals. She says, Sian is this reek, and then she tries to stir his, you know, his, his relations with her family, that he's iron born. And yeah, he's a reek. Theon's like, no, no, no. And she's like, I still got friends here. You know, just give this signal. And he said, well, if it's convenient, I'll do it. She's like, it's incredibly inconvenient. Will you do it? And and uh, and uh, he nods at her. Uh, but then as he leaves, his his Sansa's. I don't know if that says furrow. Or frown, but Sansa, you know, has this look, fear. I think she's terribly afraid even after he leaves. And then we have a little shot of uh, Sion walking up Blizzard. And then he's going up a tower, and he's carrying the candle, and there's this really nice music playing, or very thematic or atmospheric music. And then we got Ramsay sitting at this giant dinner. I'm like, oh, man. But we still know what happens because then the next shot is of Brienne and she's watching that tower. And I was almost part of me. I was like, is there a light burning there? Is it? And I was like, oh boy, this is going to be good. Brienne's going to kick some ass. And then we have a shot of another candle. Uh, but it's Amos. He's saying, egg, egg, mother's looking for you. Egg. And Gilly's like, Gilly and Sam are there. And she's like, get some sleep. You know, he's gonna, he's not going to make it through the night and you're going to have to speak. And she's like, I know. And Sam's like, well, I'll, I'll, uh, and, and then he's like, I'll stay with you. You know, he's always been good to me. I can't leave him. And then Amon's like, hey. And he gets all bent out of shape. He's like, I dreamed I was old. And it was a brilliantly, oh, brilliantly acted and shot scene. Uh, and just like the... Uh, I don't know, it took me on this entire mental journey. The way I it was very surprising, they said, I dreamed I was old. They was talking to his brother. Oh, what a wonderful, wonderful way to end uh, a character. And then we have uh, a weird shot of him. I said, uh, is this like a, a computer-aided shot or what? I haven't had a chance to look into it yet. 
But I shot, I said, it's my, uh, and I was like, the first, you know, I'd watched it on my computer, I watched it on my TV the first time and on my computer the second time on HBO Now. I said, is something off? So I don't know, but it was a different shot. Very, his face set against a lot of black. But then Sam's speaking, he's a, snow was blowing. Sam's like, his name is Amon Targaryen, came from King's Landing. He was a maester at the Citadel. Chained and sworn, and then a sworn brother, a nice watch, ever faithful, gentle and wise, kind. And he made it through a dozen commanders, counseled them. Uh, he was the blood of the dragon, but now his fire has gone out, and now his watch has ended. And now his watch has ended. And then, uh, what's his name? Sir Alistair says, hey, you're losing all your friends, Charlie. You're here all alone now. And Sam says, well, you know, well. And then we have another outdoor scene. Sansa's in this hood, and she, she, she looks lovely. And she goes up to her lunatic, the lunatic, nut job, Ramsey, and he says, oh, my beautiful wife, and he kisses her. And there's more snow. And he's like, you know, our scouts say Stannis is coming. Uh, you know, he's a tough guy, sell swords, but this storm, he can't fight in the snow like we can. And he's like, I'm going to be the warden of the north, you'll be the wardeness. I know he says, you'll be my lady and the wardeness. And then Sansa starts to question him. And we start to see during this line of questioning, I think, uh, just a tiny weakness in Ramsey. Not to mention he's shorter than Sansa, and she kind of she kind of dominates him a little bit. Maybe not in a physical way, but there's something about it. I couldn't place, place my finger on it. Well, we get a sense maybe she knows it. She says, hey, isn't your stepmother pregnant? What if it's a boy? And true, she says, well, you know, I, I'm naturalized. She says, well, Trueborn will have a better claim. He's like, I got a royal decree. And she's like, from Tommen? And then he says, oh, your half-brother's doing pretty good, Jon Snow. He's commander of the Night's Watch, and Sansa didn't know that. And then he says, oh, I have a gift for you, gift number two, I think, if you're counting, which is a terrible gift that he had, you know, figured out her plan and circumvented it. And Sansa starts to get short of breath. And reeks back in the background looking guilty. And he says, it's cold out here for a lady. You should hold on to your candles. The nights are so very long now. And he's spoken like a true villain. And like a true, true villain, he watches her walk away with this amused look on his face. And then speaking of long nights, we got Stannis' camp preparing for the night, and Davos is checking in on all the soldiers, on the troops. Everything looks miserable. And he busts in on Stannis. He's like, yeah, I got bad news. Something about Stannis looked a bit different to me. I don't know if it's the lighting or his dress or the first time. It's the first time he's been out in the wild, I think. And I said, no, he's been to King's Landing. But that was at night. I said, Jesus, this is the first time we've seen him outside of a castle during any kind of light. Almost like it's something that you changed in the actor, but maybe it was just my imagination. But I was like, we lost 40 horses. 
It's cold. We're low on food. We can't get supplies in. Storm Crow's left with 500 men. Saying it's like, they're loyal only money. And he's like, Dove's like, we're not going anywhere. Let's let's turn back. And Sansa's like, I, you know, I retreated once. I'm not going to be the king who ran. And I was like, come on, man. And Sansa's like, winter's coming. You know, if we go back to Castle Black, we'll be there for years. And I was like, well, maybe that's the best idea uh, than risking everything. And Sansa says, this is the right time, and I will risk everything. Because if I don't, we've lost. We march to victory, we march to defeat. But we go forward, only forward. And I was like, oh boy. Should have stayed with the Lord Commander, maybe. And then Stannis gets into it with a red woman. His priest is. And he says, what's up with your visions? And she says, uh, you've seen it, a battle in the snow. And he's like, I don't know. And she's like, well, I've seen myself walking around Winterfell in visions. So, I, you know, but she says, myself. And she says, I've seen the flayed banners lowered to the ground. Uh, she's like, sometimes you got to make sacrifices. I was like, is she in with Baelish? What's going on here? And she's like, we need some more king's blood. And the only blood we've got left is your daughter. And Stannis is like, get the hell out of here. You know, uh, you know. But then we do see, it's like, is he thinking about it or is he over her? And he says, have you lost your mind? But she says, you know, uh, you're the one. you got to become king before the winter and the night comes. You know, lead the living. only you can lead the living against the dead. Your whole life has led to this moment. But I'm like, I think that's her line for everything. Like, uh, your whole life is meant to, you know, me, me, you know, stealing your mojo, Jon Snow. And the next scene, Gilly's doing laundry. She gets cornered by these two scumbags that try to give her a hard time. And then Sam comes in, and they say, oh, there's your your hero, the hog, they call him. And Sam tries to fight both of them. You know, they overpower him, but then he gets back up, and then Ghost comes just in time to get Sam's back, and these guys run. Uh, but it's not exactly a good sign for the future. Then the next scene we have Gilly like, like nursing Sam back to health. And she's like, you gotta be more careful. And Sam's even, he's like, hey, I had them in the palm of my hand. And uh, I know exactly what I'm doing. And they go back, she, she's like, promise you me you'll take care of the baby. He's like, I'm gonna take care of both of you. And then she's like, this is getting a little too un- uncomfortably awkward and intimate. And he's like, please stay with me, Gilly. And then Gilly kisses him. And there's a beautiful snow coming in a small window and a little moonlight. And you can even hear like almost like a morning dove outside or night birds making some noise. The fire's crackling. And they get down to making sweet love. And it's just so cute. Because Sam says, oh my. He doesn't even say it like that. He says it even in a more lovely way. And it was just a lovely, it was a very uh, touching way to handle intimacy. I, I thought, like, uh, it was beautiful. I, I guess I shouldn't have said making love, but that's what they were kind of doing. 
So, you know, why can't I say that? And then we have Tyrion and Jorah, they're in this auction for the fighting pits. The pirates kind of auctioning them off. Making a big, big, big deal about Jorah. We got an interesting guy in a little bit different outfit than the other uh, uh, upper class dudes. And he's like a bit, he's, he likes to look at Jorah. And then Tyrion's trying to give Jorah some eye signals. Once he's like, hey, buddy, don't forget about me. Jorah, he's kind of like, eh, forget him. And they're like 13, 14, 15, 16, and that guy's like 20, and they're like sold. And then Tyrion and Kenneman pushed around with this guy in an earlier scene, and he says, hey, we're, we're a team. You know, you got to take me too. And then he, he beats up on this guy that was mean to him. And, he, you know, the pirate says, well, this guy's funny. And then the guy, when he buys me, he says, okay, he's funny. I'll take him. And then Tyrion's like, well, I just want to talk to you about our freedom. You know, we're free people. And the guy says, here's how free you are. I'm going to pay you this penny for the rest of your life. There's your freedom. Uh, so we see that they're finding their way around the Khaleesi's rules. And then we have some gold sheets and some pillow talk between our Khaleesi and Dario. And he's kind of talking about this political message, but he has some interesting words to hear or rehear. You know, he says, hey, when's the king going to come, you know, take my pillow? She's like, oh, it's a political marriage. The guy's name is Hisar. And Dario kind of says it like you would, I guess, and when you're in the bed with the queen. He says, hey, I think this guy might have been the leader of the Sons of the Harpies. That's why stuff is quieted down. And he's like, you know, what? maybe I'm just jealous. And she's like, uh, he's like, I got impure thoughts in my head about him, you know, being with my lady. But that doesn't make me wrong. And it's very uh, sexual scene. Khaleesi's uh, bodies are intertwining and Khaleesi's talking in, in a metaphorical and a true sense. But then she's like, I need this city, you know, like you said, safe. So you know, when outside enemies attack. And then they talk about the slavery, do slaves have a choice or not? And she, he's like, why don't you marry me? And she's like, I can. And she's, she's, he's like, your queen, do what you want. She's like, no, I can't. And he's like, well, you're the only person in Marine that's not free then. But you know, as Dario's grown, I mean, you can tell he has the Khaleesi's best interest there. He said, hey, listen, you because know, she doesn't seem pleased at first. And he's like, I just take out all these guys. You can't trust this ruling class here. And she says, I'm a queen, not a butcher. And he says... All rulers are either butchers or meat. And I said, Jesus sounds a little bit like Cersei talking to Ned about uh, the Game of Thrones. Either you win or you don't make it. And then we have the Queen of Thorns versus the High Sparrow, which I think was an interesting thing because it's like, uh, does sparrows live in thorns for protection? But she's looking for him. He's scrubbing the floor of the, the sept. And she's getting uppity, and, and I say again, uh, this scene. I said it was hard for me to take away the rest of this episode. She, geez, what do I do with these feelings I'm feeling? Because she's really, you know, upper class in him. She's like, you know, you should stand when you talk to a lady. He's like, you should kneel when you're with the gods. And she's like, don't spar with me. And then they talk about getting old for a second. And then she says, what's your angle? But man of the people, that's dull. 
uh, doing you're doing the Cersei's dirty work. And he says the people always do the dirty work. And she says, spare me the homilies. You're a fraud. She's like, I'm good at detecting. Said, oh, useful talent. And she's like, I'm just worried about my goddaughter and godson. And he's like, the father will judge us all. Sons of lords, sons of fishermen. You know, if you break the laws, you'll be punished. And he starts to walk off. She says, you know, don't walk away from me. He's like, you know, you're not the boss of me. And she's like, what do you want, gold? You know, I'll make you rich. And she's like, he's like, he laughs. She's like, well, what then? He's like, I imagine it's strange, you know, because everyone you meet has a hidden motive and you can figure it out. But I'm telling you a simple truth. I, I serve the gods. I serve the gods. They want justice. And she's like, well, were they bringing you in? He's like, no, I read the Bible, our, our Bible, the seven-pointed star. I could give you one. She's like, I've read it. She goes, I don't remember all these like uh, super strict rules about uh, sexual behavior and rich people lying. And she's like, you're going to punish him, but you're going to punish everybody else or what? And he's like, yeah, I'm trying to. And she's like, well, you better. Otherwise, I'm going to stop sending uh, food here and everybody's going to starve. And he goes, I'll make sure the hungry know who to blame. And he's like, you haven't even worked in a field, you, you lady, have you? Is anybody in your family? And he's like, you're blind because of your wealth. He goes, you're the few, we're the many. And when the many stop fearing the few, and then he says, hit the road. And again, this left me confused. I said, which kind of morality is this guy pe pre preaching here? Uh, what, what is he up to? You know, is he, because I said, geez, you can't have it both ways, even him. You know, he can't be so strict about people, humanity, and then claim you speak for humanity. So I was confused, but I liked that uh, there was a, finally a threat uh, to the royal quest. You know, I love that kind of stuff. It just it kind of comes from some a character that I kind of have distaste for because of his prior actions of being against, you know, sex and drugs and music and, and convenient statues to pray to false idols that are, you know, convenient false idols. But there's beautiful lighting in this scene, too. When he said seven-pointed star, I noticed the light streaming through the seven-pointed star of the sept. So there's a lot of good window action in this episode. Another gift. And he offered her a gift. He said, hey, you want my, my seven-pointed star? I'll give it to you. In the previous scene, uh, let's see, uh, Dario offered Khaleesi a gift of some honest advice. Uh, Gilly offered Sam a gift of love, I guess, or a connect, physical connection and staying with him. And then as Oleana leaves, she gets a little uh, note for it with a mockingbird symbol on it. Then we have Tom and Mommy, and she's trying to calm Tom and down. And they're holding hands in the light. Tom is throwing a fit. He said, I'm going to start a war. And she says, sometimes things are beyond your control. You know, it's sometimes it's fate. And she's like, you know, I, I was powerless. You know, I've been the queen and I couldn't do anything. I lost your father. I lost your real father a couple times. You know, I lost your brother. He's like, well, I love, you know, Marjorie. I want her back. And she's like, I'll take care of it, honey. Don't worry. 
And they said they're holding hands and moving around. She's, she's trying to be caring as the light streams in. She's like, the king can't deal with these fanatics. And he's like, you're going to help her? And she's like, oh, yeah, but trust me, Tom, and your happiness is all I want in the world. And he's like, I know. She's like, you can't possibly know not until you have children. I'd do anything for you to keep you safe, burn the cities to the ground. You and your sister are all that matter to me. Uh, from the moment you came into this world, my boy, my only boy. But I was still, I said, is she serious with this? Or is she, because she says she's serious with this? Because she's not exactly acting, you know, and that's confused by Cersei. And of course, my, you know, Trump, I might, I said, I shouldn't be attracted to this woman. You know, but I, you know, what am I going to do? She'd eat me for breakfast. She wouldn't even bother eating me. She'd say, hey, uh, bring him down to the secret lab, feed him to the, uh, you know, feed him to Sir Gregor for breakfast. And I would say, well, I was hoping before my education, you know, execute, you know, please. You know, if I could just kiss your neck, my queen, regent, mother. And she said, go off with his the only neck you'll kiss is Sir Gregor's as you go down it. And I said, okay, my queen, regent mother, uh, uh, elect. And we have Jamie looking out a window, and Miss Sutherland comes in, and she totally shuts him down. Teenage, talk about a teenage moment. If you take it, let me see if I got some of these. He's like, hey, she's like, I told you. She's like, you look different. Is your hair, you, you look weird. And she's like, you had, last time I saw you, you had more hair. He's like, more hair and more hands. And she's like, why are you doing this to me? He's like, your mother's worried. She's like, this is my home. And he says, it's for your own good. And then she finishes it with, you don't know me. And I say, the day I hear those words, oh, man, I say, I live in fear the day I hear I said, why are you moving in? This is my home. This is for your own good. You don't know me. So as a teenage moment or tween, I don't know how old my cell is. Ready old enough to be married, I guess, in Westeros. Who knows how old that is? And then we have Bron really singing. He says in a beautiful, beautiful voice, Brothers, oh brothers, my days here are done. The Dornishman's taken my life. But what does it matter for all men must die? And I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. And I've tasted the Dornishman's wife. I think there was something about a peach in there, though, but I don't know. And then the one one sister, the sister with the shortest hair is clapping. I noticed all the sisters were sitting differently, which I liked. And they were positioned differently. But the sisters are kind of having fun with them. The one's like, he's got a good voice. The other one's like, we're lucky he's a singer, not a fighter. And he's like, well, it's my coat. Bron says, it's my coat not to hurt a woman. And they're like, we've heard it a lot of times from guys we've taken out. And then the, the one with the shortest hair says, well, how's your arm doing? He's like, great. And he's like, now I got a scar. I look bad. I look tough. And she's like, are you leaving dorm? He's like, no, I like beautiful Dornish women. And she, she says, thank you. He says, I said, uh, beautiful Dornish women. And she's like, aren't I the most beautiful woman you've ever seen? And Bron's like, well, and then she's like, name somebody more beautiful than me. And then she says, oh, by the way, I poisoned you. 
And she's still trying to seduce him, but then he gets all dizzy. She says, hey, here's an antidote. I, you know, I could have taken you out. Uh, she's like, I had some ointment from a shy on there called the Long Farewell. Uh, but, you know, right here I'll save your life if you tell me I'm beautiful. And he says, okay. And then she said, and I'm like, man, I mean, no offense. The guy's a good singer, good fighter. Uh, not my cup of tea. I guess I'm not dating swords, luckily. But I say, hey, what about a boring podcaster versus a kick-ass sword with a great sense of humor, great voice, probably a bunch of dough. Okay, never mind. I'll see you, you all later. I'll just go down to the sea. And then in the next scene, we got Baelish surveying the damage of his old brothel. There were some interesting shots in there that I didn't have time to pause. I said, what is that statue of her? What was that? And then we see, he says, sorry about the locale. We see Lady Olana there. And she says, hey, you're not sorry. And he's like, this is the safest place. And she's like, clearly not for your clients. And then we get a little, uh, I don't know if it's forlorn is the right thing for Baelish. He says, this was like a best place, man. We we had every appetite. We created desires that didn't even exist here. You know, like the one with the uh, the priest and picking out the goddesses and stuff on a, a giant clock where we played with the clockmaster. And she's like, you're pretty impressed with yourself. And he goes, you know, the past is the past. The future is all that's worth discussing. Excellent posture as Baelish has. He says, let's talk about the future of House Tyrell. She's like, don't act like you care about my future. And he's like, I've been out of town. And she's like, yeah, I knew you'd come back as soon as you were in trouble. And she's like, our fates are joined. You know, together we we took out a king. And, you know, if you're going to try to take me out here, you're going to regret it. And he, she's like, so what's going on? He's like, Cersei just called me. He's like, I didn't refuse. I can't refuse her. And she's like, well, what does she want? He's like, a piece of information I had. Couldn't lie. Couldn't stay silent. Not an option. He's like, but I have another piece of information. Now, I think the piece of information he gave Cersei was Oliver, I think. Uh, maybe. I'm just trying to think what it was. Because the next thing, he says, yeah, I have some other information. As you say, where our interests are aligned, it's a gift. I have a gift for you. Another gift. And he's like, the same one I gave Cersei are kind of different, a handsome young man. And then we have some gladiator prep action, and the guy, the boss guy, talking about the great picket pit of Graznak. I was like, I'd like to check that out. And some of the guys go out, Jorah gets ready, he gets all stoic and quiet. And then we see that the queen's in attendance, uh, Arcolisi, with uh, the, her uh, betrothed. Political betrothed. Everyone starts bowing, and, and she doesn't really want to be there, but he's like, this is a political thing. She has a white dress on, a little, I think a little bit different. It's got a, it a hardcore uh, neck piece to it, probably a deadly weapon, but beautiful. It looked good. Uh, when the scene starts, before the battle starts, there's a dude with a giant samurai sword, it looked like. And I was looking for that during the battle, but it happened pretty fast. And then the guy's like, you know, maybe say something for the queen. We fight and fight for your glory, oh glorious queen. 
And then Jory hears that in the back, but then the men start fighting, and Khaleesi, it's brutal. Khaleesi's like, I don't want to watch this. The husband's like, you have to. we got to stay till the end, honey. Uh, please, it's a political thing to do. And she's like, uh, I don't want to. And then Stannis, or, uh, he's like, yeah, we just get to wait till somebody wins. And then Jorah in the back, he sees Khaleesi. And he's, like, amazed at first. And then Jorah comes out. It's, like, straight out of the movie Gladiator in some sense. Without He, he does, like, a nonviolent fighting style where he just knocks everybody down to get to Khaleesi. And Khaleesi's like, whoa, who's this guy fighting without brutality? Uh, like a weather-beaten, storm-beaten man, uh, heartbroken. Meanwhile, Tyrion's still in the back. He's trying to break out of there. Uh, Jor, you know, takes everybody out. This guy helps Tyrion. I thought that was interesting. He reminded me of the guy that ran the Sky Cells way back in, like, season one or season two. But then Jorah gets unmasked. The Khaleesi's like, get rid of this guy. He's, he, I thought I dumped you. And Jorah just looks so desperate. He says, Khaleesi, please, I just need a moment of your time. Anytime anyone says they need a moment of your time, they're lying. Because they, like, in Jorah's case, he's like, I need your, the rest of you for the rest of your life or my life together forever. But even when they say that's like a, a human, never use that term. Here's pro pro pro-am tip. Don't say you can have a moment of your time. I think I just used that in the email, too. But don't say it because you know, everyone knows you're lying. They're like, oh, or you're delusional. They're not going to use them. You're going to use all day. Or they, you know, it's like, can I have a moment of your time to, you know, you, you know make, develop some something? I don't know. That's a pet peeve. But it just shows it. But he says, I got you a gift. And Khaleesi's like, what, my rabbit? Uh, and he's like, and then Tyrion's like, no, it's me. He goes, it's a pleasure to meet you. I'm Tyrion Lannister. And then the next scene, Cersei goes to visit Marjorie, who's curled up in the corner. There's some real nice light in the ceiling, the highlight in this room. But Cersei has gone off the rest. She says, oh, this is horrible. You know, I brought you some venison. But she still, she can't, she can't tame herself. She says, it's good. I had it for dinner last night. Uh, but Cersei's feeding her all this bro- bro- bullshit, and Marjorie's just in there calmly breathing. She she looks lovely despite being imprisoned, and especially with her calm, you know, her calm breathing face, where she's just clearly she she uh, this scene. She's like, I feel like I'm the one in control. But Cersei's like, Don't worry, we're gonna get you right out of here. And she says so chilling. And Marjorie says, Lies come very easily to you. Everyone knows that. But innocence, decency, and concern, you're not good at those, I'm afraid. Perhaps that was why your son was so quick to cast you aside. And Cersei's like, just calm down, you're not thinking clearly. Almost like Cersei's always, it's almost like Cersei's always worried about somebody wearing a wire. Uh, she's, she's, she's so forward-thinking. She's like, I'll just wait till you calm down. And she's like, I don't ever want to see you again. And she's like, I hope you, I hope you change your mind, sweetie. And she's like, I've been told uh, men go mad down here, uh, but you know maybe your isolation will be in during your public trial. And Marjorie's like, get out of here. And she's like, yeah, I gotta go. I gotta do some stuff with my son. My, you know, me and my son it's fun day. She says, get out, you hateful bitch. And she throws the food, and then uh, Marjorie or. 
And Cersei comes to see the High Sparrow. He says, thank you, Boke, or something. What do you say? He says, thank you, Bulk. And I says, that guy's name Bulk? And he says, hey, did you just see her? She says, yeah. And she's like, it doesn't have it seem that bad down there. What's next? And he said, well, it would be, uh, you know, whatever, pre-trial motion hearings. And then, you know, we'll have a trial. And she's like, who's the judge? He's like a bunch of seven guys, seven septons, just like back in the old days. And she's like, are you going to be there? He's like, I will. She says, what if one of them confesses? And he says, we'll give him the mother's mercy. He's like, she's like, what's that? And he's like, well, we'll see. I don't know. We don't have that set. And she's like, well, you're the best, man, uh, for bringing them whatever justice they deserve in the eyes of the seven. And he's like, hey, you know about this chapel down here? It's pretty sweet. He goes, it's one of the oldest places in King's Landing. And Cersei could tell she's got somewhere to go, like a jug of wine. She's like, I had an appointment. It's 10 a.m., jug of wine time. But she's like, yeah, I think I heard about this. Kind of like this podcast. She was listening to this podcast. She's like, eh. And he's like, Baylor built his sept around here before. He goes, but even before that, you know, people worshipped here. And he strokes the altar. He's like, who carved this altar? She's like, so she's like, I altar. I don't barely know. You know, I don't. Eh. And, and, and he's like, I don't. He goes, no one knows who built it. Because there's no name anywhere, any any of the people that built this chapel. You know, they weren't vain like Baylor was. And so there's some, okay, I got, I got to get to the wine. And he says the faith was clean back then. Because you take away the gold and the ornaments, take away the statues and the pillars, this is what you got here. Something simple, solid, and true. And he's like, the Tyrells are going to lose all that. They'll be laid bare for all to see. But that's how it's going to be for everyone, high and low alike. He goes, what will we find when we strip away your finery? And for there's a shot on Cersei. For a second, you say, oh, she's over. If, if, you, if you start to feel the, the, the power shift... She, she, you almost feel it as an audience member before her. She still gets this smile on her face. And you say, oh boy, Tyrion, Tywin Lannister would not have been, she, she's a little bit out of her league. And he said, a young man came to us not long ago, and he was broken in body and spirit. It had a lot to strip away, so much weighing him down. But piece by piece, he unburdened himself, got rid of his vanity, pride, his sin, now his soul is so light, he'll float through the seven heavens like a bird. And Cersei says, mm, okay, I still got to get that wine. And I think I would get a shaming speech, but okay, I'm shamed, properly shamed. And then he says, and he had so much to say about you. And then she gulps. She says, oh, oh, oh shit. And then the door opens and Cousin Lancel comes out. Oh, and I forgot, when he says float through the heavens like the birds, the look on his face, and as he says, and he has much to say about you, now you know, I said, geez, why did they cast such a fine actor uh, to, pl to play this character? And now we get to say, oh boy, because uh, he, he's, he's somebody with this much gravitas, you know, to overpower Cersei in a scene. 
I still don't know. I said, Jesus, this guy a true believer in that because I don't believe in all the stuff he's doing. But then they turn Cersei over to these nuns. And first Cersei tells the nun to move, and the nun gives her this wonderfully horrible look. And then this chanting movement starts, and then you get this sparrow's face again. And then you get Cersei, she gets tossed into a cell just like Marjorie. She says, look at my face, this is going to be the last thing you ever see. And then they say, yeah, they close the door and they say, hey, let's, let's triple lock it. She's not going anywhere anytime soon. And the music pumps as the door closes and, the, you know, all the locks play out in this nice uh, audible way. And we have our first comeuppance of Cersei, I think, which is like, oh, my goodness, I did not see that coming. And it was wonderful. That was a wonderful. It was like uh, almost as good as kissing her neck. What may may have been, and in some sense better, because you say, "Well, she turned this guy loose, and now she's got to pay for it." Uh, and what would now? Again, the powerful thing about Game of Thrones is now it's like not only do there's twists and turns, but you're left in position where it's like now I have no idea what's coming. And that's a wonderful place as an audience member to be in. Now I have no idea what they're going to do next. You know, Tommen could take off all his clothes and act like Tommen. I mean, who knows? And it could affect the story, every storyline going forward. And it's just a rare place to be. And a place I love to be. I say, geez, I'm disoriented again. Thank you, Mr. Martin, Mr. Weiss, Mr. Benioff. Wow, and that was she said. So that's a, it was a gift. Not only Cersei getting locked up a gift, but a gift of an episode to be in a position. She, geez, I don't know what's coming next, and I can't wait. So thank you. All right, so what were some of the things we're going to talk about tonight? Not necessarily in this order. Gilly Flowers. Shows that end as a dream, and Bob Newhart we're going to talk about. We're going to briefly talk about Sparrows, The Long Night. We're going to have some poetry, and then we're going to talk about uh, street fundraising, or, or as our friends across the pond over in the U.K. call it, Chuggers. And, of course, we'll hopefully have a visit from Shaman and Sir Pounce, and I'll pray to the old gods and the new. Thanks. Uh, as I said during the, uh, the episode discussion, I really loved the scene with Amon. Uh, both scenes with him say, talking to his, his brother, Aegon. Egg, egg. But I particularly found it lovely how he said, Hey, I dreamed I was old, or I had the strangest dream that I was old. Uh, because it's something so relatable. Uh, but it was so mo- I don't know if it stirred me, as I already said, but it also reminded me, I said, geez, there's a couple TV shows that ended like that, where they said, oh, this show was only a dream. So I said, which ones was it? Not nothing recently. I think Life on Mars was the re- most recent. And I didn't watch either. Whole- I started watching the UK one, and then I said, well, I don't know about this. Uh, but but uh, uh, but I did a little search. This came up on TVSeriesFinale.com. It was published October 20th, 2009. Uh, TV series that were only the dream, best and worst. Uh, and I'm going to pr- quote and paraphrase. Uh, coming up with a good vi- TV series finale is a tricky thing. And there's a lot of pressure from the writers to find a unique idea to cap off the series. 
Of course, no matter how good it is, you can't please everybody. Uh, popular themes for finales are moving, job changes, graduation, births, deaths, and the return of a significant character from the past. And then there's the big dream explanation. Uh, just a handful of TV series have attempted to go out this way. Sometimes it works, sometimes not. Uh, what's the difference between one that's dreamy and one that's not? Well, they say it usually comes down to what's right for this show. Does it fit with the rest of the series, or does it just seem like it was tacked on the end? And here's it from their opinion, but this is the one I was thinking of, uh, the best from best to worst. Uh, Newhart, the last Newhart. But in the final moments of the show, Dick London, Bob Newhart, is hit on the head by a golf ball. When he wakes up, we learn the entire series has been a dream of... Uh, Newhart's character, Dr. Bob Hartley, from his previous sitcom, The Bob Newhart Show. Uh, though the dream ending wasn't planned very much in advance, it, it fits perfectly. Uh, Newhart uh, plays essentially the same character in both shows as Dick London. He even runs into a few characters that are reminiscent from The Bob Newhart Show. There are also plenty of bizarre events in the series that are explained as a result of having eaten bad Japanese food, the result of having eaten bad Japanese food the night before. Not only does Newhart's clever as a series dream scenario worked, it ensured the quiet 1980s sitcom would never be forgotten. Uh, then there's both Life on Mars series, and then there's Roseanne, which I did not know ended in a dream. The uh, long-running sitcom was sent to end at the end of its eighth season. John Goodman, was, Dan, was about to pass away. At the last minute, ABC brought the show back. And Roseanne decided to go out with a bang and turn the last season into a sitcom version, a blue-collar version, absolutely fabulous. Uh, Goodman was only contracted for some of the episodes, so her and Roseanne had marital problems, and he wasn't around a lot. In the show's final movements, we live. Uh, we learn that the entire show has been in Roseanne's imagination. She's been writing her memoirs and changing her life. Uh, and we learn a whole different uh, thing, and then she reads a long T. Lawrence poem that seems to go on forever. Uh, the whole dream twist seems to come out of left field and complete, feels completely out of character for what began as a blue-collar sitcom. Uh, so they said it feels cheap. Then St. Elsewhere, which was right before my time, I think. That also ends in a dream, but I didn't really know anything about that. But this puts us in this inter interesting intersection for the podcast and exploration here, because I said to myself, uh, so bring, this brings us up this interesting opportunity for uh, exploration, because... Uh, uh, so sometimes when I'm editing the podcast, I, 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 you know, I say, who, who, who do I sound? I'm like, I, I, sometimes I remind myself when I'm doing this lulling tone, I say, Jesus, it reminds me of someone. And I almost say, Jesus, am I imitating someone or reflecting someone's voice from the past? And finally, at some point, I figured it out, and it was Bob Newhart. I said, geez, I sound a bit like Bob Newhart. And I said, geez, I barely know anything about Bob Newhart. I remember he had that show that was a dream. And I think I, now, I haven't looked any, I have the links for Bob Newhart, but I haven't read anything about him, so I don't really know that much about him. And so what's weird is, 
I think I was just a little bit after it's time for his show. I think my mom might have watched the Newhart show, or Newhart. That was his second show. So I probably I know I watched some episodes because I remember Daryl. This is my I'm Daryl. This is my brother Daryl, and this is my other brother Daryl. And if my memory serves, it took place in Vermont, and I think he ran a bed and breakfast with his wife. Uh, but other than that, I, I said, can I remember any plot lines? And I said, no. And I said, geez, I'm probably going to mix up with like a designing women's plot line or a Golden Girls plot line. That's how much I remember of those three shows. I would definitely remember more of Golden Girls than the other two, if that says anything about me. And then probably Designing Women next and then Newhart. But I did see Bob Newhart, I think, on like shows like Letterman. And I don't know where else, interviews with him. And somehow I must have absorbed some of his sense of humor. Or maybe we're just similar guys, you know, separated by uh, a few decades. I don't know. But it's just interesting. I said, this was about uh, somewhere six months ago. I said, and I said, geez, who, you know, when I'm trying, when I'm dropping, trying to drop some of this humor. I said, I'm sounding like somebody. I said, oh, there it is. It's Bob Newhart. So we share a sense of humor, which is weird for, for someone that, uh, you know, somebody, a lot of people say, oh, this is my greatest comic influence, uh, or this is my comedic hero. In some sense, I really like Bob Newhart. He seems like a, he's very funny when I've seen him on those shows. But it's not like it's someone I've studied. It's somehow a, 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 he's my subconscious comedy uh, hero and mentor. Or, you know, we share the same, like I said, but I don't know. It's just so interesting uh, to be like, to hear someone's voice and then say, like, oh, yeah, that's me. That sounds like me. I'm going to have to watch a bunch of YouTube, I guess, of him to get a better idea. And maybe I'll post some YouTube videos so you could get an idea. Uh, but I say, would I listen to some of the, the Trending Tuesday Reditation episodes? I say, geez, a little Bob Newhart action. Okay, so uh, over on Wikipedia, uh, Bob Newhart was uh, born in 1929. Uh, he's George Robert Newhart. And he's known for his deadpan and slightly stammering delivery. So that, that's a similarity. He came to prominence in the 60s with the album A Button-Down Mind of Bob Newhart, which was a worldwide bestseller, number one Billboard album and the 20th best-selling comedy album in history. Uh, The follow-up, The Button-Down Mind Strikes Again, was also a massive success, and the two albums held the Billboard number one and number two spots simultaneously. Uh, Newhart later went into acting in two long-running, award-winning situation comedies. Uh, First is psychologist Dr. Bob, Robert Bob Hartley, on the 70s sitcom The Newhart Show, and then his innkeeper, Dick London, on the 80s sitcom Newhart. He also had two short-lived sitcoms in the 90s called Bob and George and Leo. Oh, here's a Newhart was appeared in film roles such as Major Major and Catch-22 and Papa Elf and Elf. Okay, so that's why he's more on my mind is from Elf. I watch that every year. Yeah, but somehow I forget that. He also provided the voice of Bernard and the Rescuers and the Rescuers Down Under. In 2004, he played the library head Judson in The Librarian. 
a character which continued in to the TV series The Librarians. Newhart made a cameo in Horrible Bosses in 2013. And he was also on three episodes of The Big Bang Theory, for which he won his first primetime Emmy in uh, 2013. Uh, we'll, we'll skip his personal stuff, but he, he definitely lived an interesting life here. Uh, but in 1958, he worked for advertising copywriter Fred A. Niles. And then him and there, instead of working, him and a co-worker would entertain each other with long telephone calls about absurd scenarios, which they would later record and send to radio stations. When his co-worker en- got fired or something, it doesn't say... Uh, Newhart kept it up, developing the shtick which would serve him well for decades. Uh, the auditions led to his first recording contract. Uh, Dan Sorkin, who later became his uh, sidekick on his NBC series, introduced him to the talent at Warner Brothers, which signed him. Uh, Newhart became famous mostly on the strength of his audio releases, in which he became the world's first solo straight man. This is a seeming contradiction in terms. By definition, a straight man is the counterpart to a more loony comedic partner. Okay, this would explain a lot of the uh, connection, you know. Uh, Newhart's routine, however, was to simply portray one end of the conversation, uh, playing the straightest of comedic straight men, implying what the other person was saying. So, yeah, maybe I heard some of these recordings when I was little. Uh, Newhart told a 2005 interviewer, his favorite routine, routine is Abe Lincoln vs. Madison Avenue, in which a promoter has to deal with the reluctance of an eccentric president to agree to boost his self-image. Uh, Newhart became known for using an intentional stammer in service to his unique combination of politeness and disbelief at what he was supposedly hearing. You know, yeah, I think he's a little more nice in... in, uh, in uh, He's different than me, now I'm thinking about it. But the same, maybe we have the same delivery. Well, let's just read a little bit about television. Newhart's success in stand-up led to his own variety show in 61. The Bob Newhart show only lasted a season, but he won a year under primetime Emmy nomination and a Peabody Award. Then in the 60s, he, he appeared on the Dean Martin show 24 times, Ed Sullivan show 8 times. Uh, Johnny Carson, 87 times, Saturday Night Live twice. And then he became a dedicated character actor, appearing on Bob Hope's uh, Chrysler Theater, Captain Nice, uh, Insight, Gary Shandling's show, Murphy Brown, The Simpsons, and even NCIS. Doesn't talk about his actual TV shows here, though. Oh, here's uh, sitcoms. Uh, Newhart's most notable exposure from television came for his two shows. Uh, after he was on the Smother Brothers, he got approached and worked on a pilot, the Bob Newhart Show, which at the time faced heavy competition from Maud, Mash, Sanford and Son, and the Waltons. Wow, that's the powerhouses he was at, but it was still a hit. And the show eventually referenced what made Newhart's name in the first place, which uh, was the opening credit sequence featuring Newhart answering a telephone in his office. According to the co-stars, everyone got a well along, along well there. Uh, by 77, the show was, uh, you know, suffering lackluster ratings. 
And Newhart wanted to end it, but he was under contract for one more season. And new writers wanted his wife to get pregnant. Newhart objected. And then the show in, uh, was discontinued in 78 when Newhart discontinued it after six seasons and 142 episodes. Uh, by 82, Newhart was interested in a new sitcom after discussions with CBS. The show Newhart was created. Where he played an innkeeper. Uh, Mary Fran played his wife. Oh, Peter Scolari, it looks like, was on the show. Uh, Tom Poston. Oh, yeah, there you go. He played the handyman and actually won an Emmy. Or had three Emmy nominations. Uh, in 87, the rating started to drop. But the show didn't end until 1990. Okay, so that's why it came across my way. Uh, after eight seasons and 182 episodes. Uh, so that's just, and we, we talked about the ending there. So that's a little bit about Bob Newhart. I don't know. I know we got a wide range range of listeners, so I'm sure we have a hefty proportion of you uh, were at least familiar like I am with Bob Newhart and saying, geez, you, you, I know who he is. I like him. I have an affinity for him. I forgot he was an elf. He's so wonderful, an elf. How did I forget? But, uh, yeah, it was, geez, he's, he's somehow an influence on this podcast, which is wonderful and interesting. Uh, because, you know, he, he said, hey, you can stumble and bumble your way to success or to sleep in this, in this case. All right, so it might, this might be a strange association, but when they said that the poison... Uh, they had poisoned Bromwith was called the Long Goodbye. I think that's what it was called. And then uh, Ramsey also said, as I said earlier, uh, and Ramsey also used the term, the nights are getting so very long. It put me in a poet. I said, geez, we any good poetry between these two things. They're very poetic phrases. So I said, geez, let's get some poetry. Let's get a po- poetry on. Uh, so this is a little poetry break or whatever. I know they probably got something like that on the radio. Uh, first up is uh, this poem's by uh, uh, Ted Couser, K-O-O-S-E-R, 1939. It's called Flying at Night. Above us stars, beneath us constellations, five million miles away a galaxy dies like a snowflake falling on water. Below us, some farmer, feeling the chill of that distant death, snaps on his yard light, drawing his sheds and barn back into the little system of his care. All night, the cities like shimmering novas tug with bright streets at lonely lights like his. Uh, next up is a little uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow, a hymn to the night. I heard the trailing garments of the night sweep through her marble halls. I saw her sable skirts all fringed with light from the celestial walls. I felt her presence by its spell of might stoop over me from above, the calm, majestic presence of the night, as of the one I love. I heard the sounds of sorrow and delight, the manifold soft chimes that fill the chambers of the night like some old poet's rhymes. From the cool cisterns of the midnight air, my spirit drank repose. The fountain of perpetual peace flows there, 
from those deep cistern flows. O holy night, from thee I learned to bear what man is born before. Thou layest thy finger on lips of care, and they complain no more. Peace, peace, Orestes-like, I breathe this prayer. Descend with broad-winged flight the welcome thrice prayed for the most fair, the best beloved knight. Uh, here's one from Carl Sandburg, uh, 1878 to 1967, Window. Night from a railroad car window is a great dark soft thing, broken across with slashes of light. I don't know if I read that how. Night from a rail car window is a great dark soft thing, broken across with slashes of light. Here's another one by Mr. Sandberg, Summer Stars. Bend low again, night of summer stars. So near you are, sky of summer stars. So near... A long-armed man can pick off stars. Pick off what he wants in the sky bowl. So near you are, summer scar. <sighs> so near you are, summer stars. So near, strumming, strumming. So lazy, hum, strumming. So lazy and hum, strumming. Uh, a couple more heavy hitters here. We got Rhapsody on a Windy Night by T.S. Eliot. Twelve o'clock along the reaches of the street held in lunar synthesis. Whispering lunar incantations dissolves the floor of memory. In all its clear relations, its divisions and precisions, every streetlight that I pass beats like a fatalistic drum, and through the spaces of the dark, midnight shakes the memory as a madman shakes a dead geranium. Half past one, the street lamp sputtered, the street lamp muttered, the street lamp said, Regard that woman who hesitates towards you in the light of the door which opens on her like a grin. You see the border of her dress is torn and stained with sand, and you see the corner of her eye twists like a crooked pin. The memory throws up high and dry a crowd of twisted things, a twisted branch, a twisted branch upon a beach, eaten smooth and polished as if the world gave up the secret of its skeleton, stiff and white. A broken spring in a factory yard, rust that clings to the form that the strength has left, hard and curled and ready to snap. Half past two, the street lamp said, remark that cat which flattens itself in the gutter, slips out its tongue, and devours a morsel of rancid butter. So the hand of the child automatic slipped out and pocketed a toy that was running around, uh, slipped out and pocketed a toy that was running along the quay. I could see nothing behind that child's eye. I've seen eyes in the street trying to peer through lighted shutters, and a crab one afternoon in a pool, an old crab with barnacles on his back, gripped the end of the stick which I held him. Half past three, the street lamp sputtered, the lamp muttered in the dark, the lamp hummed, regard the moon. La lune negar a kun ran... La lune negara kun rancune. Ranchun. I don't know. La lune negara kun raccoon. She winks a feeble eye. She smiles into corners. She smooths the hair of the grass. The moon has lost her memory. A washed-out smallpox cracks her face. Her hand twists a paper rose that smells of dust and old cologne. She sits alone with all the nocturnal smells that cross and cross her brain. The reminiscence comes, 
of sunless dry geraniums and dust in crevices, smells of chestnut in the streets, and female smells in shuttered rooms and cigarettes in corridors and cocktail smells in bars. Lamp said four o'clock, here's the number on the door. Memory, you have the key. The little lamp spreads the ring on the stair. Mount. The bed is open, the toothbrush hangs on the wall. Put your shoes at the door. Sleep. Prepare for life. The last twist of the knife. Uh, the next poem is by Langston Hughes. It's from uh, Night Funeral in Harlem. Uh, it's from Night Funeral in Harlem, and that's from the collected poems of Langston Hughes, uh, copyright 1994. Uh, Night Funeral in Harlem, where did they get those two? Where did they get them two fine cars? Insurance man he did not pay. His insurance lapsed the other day, yet they got a satin box for his head to lay. Night Funeral in Harlem, who was it sent that wreath of flowers? Them funerals came from that poor boy's friends. They'll want flowers, too, when they meet their ends. Night funeral in Harlem. Who preached that black boy to his grave? Old preacher man preached the boy away. Charged him five dollars his girlfriend had to pay. Night funeral in Harlem. And when it was all over and the lid shut on his head and the organ had done played, and last prayer's been said, six pallbearers carried him out for dead. And off down Lenox Avenue, the long black hearse done sped. The street light at his corner shined just like a tear. The boy that they was mourning was so dear, so dear. To them folks that brought the flowers, to that girl who paid the preacher man, it was all their tears that made the poor boy's funeral grand. Night funeral in Harlem. All right, we got two more to take us home here. This one will lift you up a little bit. Summer Night Riverside by Sarah Teasdale. Summer Night Riverside. This is by Sarah Teasdale, uh, 80, 19, 1884 to 1933. Summer Night Riverside. Is the name of the poem? Sorry. In the wild, soft summer darkness, how many and many a night we two together sat in the park and watched the Hudson wearing her lights like golden spangles glinting on black satin. The rail along the curving pathway was low and a happy place to let us cross. And down the hill a tree that dripped with bloom sheltered us while your kisses in the flowers, falling, falling, tangled in my hair. The frail white stars moved slowly over the sky. And now, far off in the fragrant darkness, the tree is tremulous again with bloom, for June comes back. Tonight what girl, dreamily before her mirror, shakes her hair, this year's blossoms clinging to its coils. And we're going to finish up with one by Robert Frost, uh, Acquainted with the Night, and it's from the uh, poetry of Robert Frost. Uh, latest copyright is, uh, looks like, 6970. Acquainted with the night. I have been acquainted with the night. I have walked out in rain and back in rain. I have outwalked the furthest city light. I have looked down the saddest city lane. I have passed by the watchman on his beat and dropped my eyes, unwilling to explain. 
I have stood still and stopped the sound of feet when far away an interrupted cry came over the houses from another street, but not to call me back or say goodbye, and further still at an unearthly height, one luminary clock against the sky, proclaimed the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night. And I just, that's like, I have been one acquainted with the night. Proclaim the time was neither wrong nor right. I have been one acquainted with the night. How many characters do you think in Game of Thrones could relate to that, you know? None. Well, you know, it's poetry, so. All right, thanks. Uh, Amon calls Gilly Gilly Flower, which made me look up Gilly Flower which can be spelled with a Y or an I. And according to Wikipedia, the gillyflower or the gillyflower can be a carnation or a similar plant of the genus diathnus, especially the clove pink diathnus. So pink carnation, I think. It can also be mateolia icarana, also known as stock. I don't even know what that is, uh, uh, which is another kind of flower. Work me several other plants, such as the wallflower, which have fragrant flowers, which I thought was interesting. The name derives from the French, gerfilet, uh, from the Greek, cariophilon, nut leaf, uh, or the spice called clove. It was also frequently used in medieval tenure documents as a means of payment of peppercorn rent for land. Uh, for example, in 1262 Bedfordshire area, uh, land called the Hyde was owned by someone for the rent of one clove of gillyflower. And also the Elmore Court in Gloucester was uh, one gillyflower clove a year. So that's just a little bit about gillyflowers I wanted to look up there. All right, I want to, real quick, I want to t- touch on sparrows because I was thinking about sparrows and thorns. And this is what Wikipedia has to say about sparrows. Sparrows are a family of passerine birds, par- parasidae. Uh, they can be known as true sparrows or old-world sparrows. Uh, names also used for the genus of the family passer. Uh, they're distinct from American sparrows and Java sparrows. Many species nest on buildings and house uh, and trees. In particular, they inhabit large cities in big numbers. So sparrows may be the most familiar of all wild birds. Uh, They're primarily seed eaters, but they also eat small insects, some scavenge, like uh, gulls. Uh, Behavior, sparrows are generally social birds, many species breeding in loose colonies. Most species occurring in flocks during the non-breeding season. Grape sparrows, an exception, breeding in solitary pairs and only remaining with uh, small family groups in the non-breeding season. Most sparrows form large roosting aggregations in the non-breeding seasons. They contain only a single species. Sites are chosen for cover and include trees, thick bushes, or reed beds. So yeah, uh, sparrows could be probably found in thorns. Uh, the assemblages can be quite large with up to 10,000 house sparrows and one roost uh, counted in Egypt. 
uh, also, oh, this is uh, this funny. We were talking about this a few months ago. Uh, sparrows are one of the few passerine birds that engage in dust bathing. I've seen I see that uh, in my backyard in the winter, and I find it very cute. Uh, sparrows will first scratch a hole in the ground with their feet, lie in it, fling dirt or sand over their bodies with their wings. They'll also bathe in water, dry or melting snow. Uh, water bathing is similar to dust bathing. Both activities are social, with up to 100 birds bathing at once and followed by preening and sometimes group singing. And we'll just finish up here with the relationship with the humans. Sparrows are the most familiar of wild birds, as we said. Uh, many live in agricultural areas. Human settlements are their primary habitat for several species. Uh, Grain-eating species uh, in particular, the house in Sudan golden sparrows are uh, agricultural pests. But they can be beneficial to humans by eating insect pests. Attempts at large-scale control of sparrows have failed to affect sparrow populations significantly or have been accompanied by major increases in insect attacks, uh, probably from you know, low sparrows, as the Great Sparrow Campaign in the 50s in China proved. And then finishing up, because of their familiarity, the house sparrow and other sparrows frequently are used to represent the common, vulgar, or lewd. Uh, birds usually later described as sparrows. Birds usually described later as sparrows are referred to in many ancient literature and religious texts in Europe and Western Asia. They don't always refer specifically to sparrows, but later writers are inspired by these texts and also had the house sparrow and other members of the family in mind. In particular, sparrows are associated with Aphrodite, the goddess of love, due to their perceived lustfulness. An association echoed also by later writers such as Chaucer and Shakespeare. Uh, Jesus also used sparrows as an example of divine providence in the Gospel of Matthew, and also inspired later references in Hamlet uh, from the Gospel, Gospel hymn, His Eye is on the Sparrow. Uh, which comes from the Gospel of Matthew. It says, uh, Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow, sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your fa heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And then that's from Matthew 6.26, which is interesting. It sounds like something the sparrow, high sparrow might say. And then also, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing? And one of them shall not fall on the ground without your father. But the very hairs of your heads are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore. Ye are of more value than many sparrows. Hey, Sparrow, I don't think would agree with that one. That's from Matthew ten twenty nine to 31. So a little bit about sparrows. Uh, so one of the things I said about Jorah during the episode of session was when he's like, Khaleesi, could I just have a moment of your time? And I say, you know, there's not many, mostly it's people like uh, Jorah, stalker, or stalker-esque, or uh, dumped boyfriend material. D, D, D. I know there's an NB, not boyfriend material, NBM, what's dumped boyfriend material. D, I mean, it's used to be dumped boyfriend. 
But then you say future dumped boyfriend, like anybody else, like somebody else would be like, hey, Khaleesi, what was it with that drawer? Is he, uh, she'd be like, no, he's uh, FDB, future dumped boyfriend for you. And she would say, well, why don't I just pre-dump, you know, PD, PD, PDBM, pre-dump boyfriend? And she'd say, yeah, I guess it's a simple, we should have just stuck with the NBM, not boyfriend material. But other than stalkers and dumped boyfriends, they say, can I just have a moment of your time? It's a little probably too formal even for stalkers and boyfriends. But Jorah, you know, he's in the Stannis world of uh, ultra decorum or something. He's got a buff for uh, social, 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 uh, whatever, strict strictures. That's not, that, I just made that word up, I think. I think it's a real word, but I co-opted it. But uh, he says, other people say have you a moment of time, they're usually asking for money or for more of your time. And they thought about these people we see, at least in the U.S. And I know in the U.K., once I started researching this, I was like, oh, boy. But these people do a skeptic like me who has not heard of Baby Dragon saying that you see them outside of supermarkets and a lot of times on the street in different places in urban areas. And they're saying, hey, I'm raising money for the children. And you'll see him a couple weeks later say, hey, I'm raising money for the whales. And then you'll see him a couple of weeks later say, hey, I'm raising money for the, uh, you know, encephalitis uh, uh, vaccine. And you say, geez. And and I say, you know, I'm a skeptic. So I say, somebody's getting rich off these guys. And they're obviously working at commissions. And then one time when I was doing the opposite of making small talk with a stranger, I was making buzz talk. I was on the bus, 51A as a matter of fact, and three of these cats got on. And they were young people, and I didn't have anything against them. They were just trying to make money, make a living. I said, hey, tell me about this stuff you're into. And they broke it all down for me, a lot of it. And But they were nice, too. And I said, geez, this is some sort of... Uh, you know, some company making money to raise money. So then I did some digging. Now, this isn't going to be a blow the lid off because we don't have a whole a lot of time, but I dug in the BB. And at first, I didn't even know what to call it. It's called street fundraising, I guess. And then California, we got to deal with that and the people asking for your signatures on stuff, which, you know, some of it's even part of being a part of. Well, it seems like this has been going on in the U.K. for a long time because the first article I found was from 22, uh, 2002, July 5th. And this is over on the uh, BBC, uh, Confessions of a Street Fundraiser. Uh, teams of pesky people with clipboards are keen to separate you from your money, offer a good cause, but as the numbers swell, public opinion is soured. Here, Andrew Napier recounts his days on the street raising standing standing orders for charity. Uh, to quote, I'm an actor, and when I'm not acting, this is my day job. I started about a year ago after seeing an advert in the stage newspaper. The agencies advertise an actor's paper because they want outgoing people. Uh, I've been doing boring temp work. I kept seeing beautiful sunshine out the windows, and I thought, yeah, it sounds like fun. Some people think the agencies deliberately pick attractive young people, but I don't really think that's fair. It would be naive to say that looks don't make a difference. A lot of blokes will be signed up with fast by an attractive woman. Uh, but as far as recruitment goes, it's completely personality-based. Not so secret tactics. 
There are two aspects of the training, how to approach people on the street and knowing about the individual charities themselves. At my agency, we're assigned to one charity for up to three months, but others rotate people around faster. I don't see that it matters if people go out for a different charity each day. They still have to know all about it. Uh, to prepare for the job, we do role plays to run through the spiels and work out the best way to get through the, to the public. Once you get down the street, you just have to go for it. Some people can be a bit nervous at first, but you really can't be a shy and retiring type. I found that humor helps. Do you want to hear my joke of the day? Usually gets people to stop. If they listen to my lame joke, usually they're hearing me out about the charity. Of course, there's a bit of flirting sometimes, but that's a matter of definitions. I talk to a guy, it's a conversation. I talk to a girl, it's flirting. Although I did go out with coffee for someone once. Uh, some people are rude. Most people are friendly, even if they say no. Occasionally people are rude. You can't print one, jump, one gentleman said to me, but being blanked is the worst. There are the people that have a problem with the fact that we get paid, which is unreasonable because this is a full-time job. All charities set aside a part of their budget for fundraising, and they have contracts with agencies like mine to get new donors. Oh, here's something. Despite what people think we don't get a commission, I think it's ethical to pay fundraisers on that basis. Oh, he says he doesn't think that. He started at $8 a pound and is now up to 10 There are targets. We're supposed to sign five people a day, but it doesn't affect your pay. Uh, people do try to give me money for the charity, but I can't accept cash donations because we're not licensed to get money buckets, as it were. Uh, too many people recently started to call us chuggers or charity muggers. It's a laugh when it's tug-in-cheek, but it does reflect a growing attitude about certain sections of society about what we're doing. Street fundraising has certainly mushroomed in the last couple of years, especially around London, Glasgow, Edinburgh, and Manchester. I had days when I wondered if it's run its course. I wonder if the city's been inundated by too many fundraisers. If everyone who wants to give is already signed up, but I do still find people who want to donate. And I found a lot of articles because it seemed like the UK was debating, legislating this. So I'm going to put a bunch of show notes, a bunch of links in the show notes, a couple from the UK and a couple from the US so we learn a little bit more about it. But that's just a little bit about street fundraising. Hey, can I have a moment of your time? Well, you know, people are trying to make make a living too, so I can't totally criticize it. And I don't know all the details, so I shouldn't, shouldn't just keep my mouth shut, huh? Probably. Or just keep, you know, being boring and dull and doing what I do best. So that's what I'll do. Come along. But another thing mentioned by my, you know, most disliked character, uh, but not Reese Bolton, what's that character's name? Wants to be warden of the north, but will be usurped by a baby. He also has a baby, oh, Ramsey. He says, that, uh, Sansa, the nights are getting so very long. Which made me look, what was the original long night in Wikia, Game of Thrones uh, lore? Went over the Game of Thrones Wikia to, to look up the long night. That's a quote from old Nan to Bran. Brandon Stark, or Bran Stark. Uh, thousands of years ago, there came a night that lasted a generation. Kings froze to death in their castles, same as shepherds in their huts. Women didn't want their baby to starve, they wept. Tears froze on their cheeks, and in that darkness, the white walkers came for the first time. 
They swept through the cities and kingdoms, riding their dead horses, hunting with packs of pale spiders big as hounds. According to this 8,000 years before the Targaryen conquest, a winner knows the long night to spend it upon the world, which lasted an entire generation. Thousands starved as the, starved as the crops in the fields laid buried under dozens of feet of snow. In the darkness and the cold of the long night, the White Walkers descended upon Westeros. From the furthest north polar regions of the land is always winter. By the war for the dawn, no, no one knew why the White Walkers came, nor their nature or origins, but they took out everybody in their path. Uh, they reanimated the dead uh, for their armies and swept across the continents. Eventually, the first men and the children of the forest rallied and defended themselves in the conflict known as the War for the Dawn and defeated the White Walkers and drove them north. Uh, the wall was constructed around the northernmost, northernmost isthmus, 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 uh, isthmus, isthmus, uh, northern Westeros to bar the return, a massive fortification 700 feet in length from one side of the continent to the other. Legend said the wall was infused with powerful magic spells by the children of the forest to prevent the White Walkers from crossing it. The ancient order of the Night's Watch was founded to defend the wall. Uh, in aftermath, in present day, most believe the Long Night is just a children's story and the White Walkers nothing more than legends. Even the few that believe they did exist or they think they left thousands of years ago Certainly, none were seen for the next 8,000 years between their supposed defeat and the time of Robert's Rebellion. And from there on, we'll, we'll find out as the season unfolds, I suppose, or next season, or, or you know. So, but that's a little bit about the uh, long night that may be descending once again on Westeros. Okay, okay. <sighs> okay. So this is real, not a dream like the things we were talking about. Yeah, it's real, Tommy. Well, I just don't want to wake up and say, Oh, I really do have nothing, not even my radio show. No, Tommy, I know you're down. And this is real. This is, oh, jeez, I can't. I mean, if it's a dream, it's not yours, it's mine. Well, what I, why would I be in your dream then, Podman? Well, it's not a dream. It's, you know, the other one. Oh, with a mission. No, 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 no. Um, well, yeah, never mind. A night night dream. Yeah, a night dream. A dream. Oh, it's supposed to be a daydream. Or a day sleep, like when I sleep. Okay, Tom, and actually, believe it or not, I'm going to let you have your show back for this episode if you actually do. Oh, okay, okay. Okay, ready. Okay, I'm just a little nervous. A week off, you know, and everything that's happened. And the fact, I'm losing. You know, just me. Okay, you're looking at me with such kind eyes, bad man. Okay, Tom, you can do it. Remember, Cape Ounce Radio. Oh, okay, yes, yes. Okay, breathing, breathing. No holding your breath and turning blue, Tom. And okay, Tom, please, please start the show. Okay, sorry, bad man. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, I want to welcome you back to K-Pounce Radio. K-Pounce Radio. Uh, our afternoon adventure theater is back after a week where a man made a mistake and, and chose not to air a show. That was so wonderful. We heard from all of you. But did we hear from... No. 
Why not? Well, because you read as well. Wait, we heard from so many millions of you. Where is K-Pow? Where is the, the tales of friendship I've come to rely on? What happened to the station I love to listen to? Well, we're back, K-Pound's radio. The radio friendship of best friendship bound, bound by uh, friends that understand what best friends are, Sir Tommen and Sir Pounds, the founders and the creators of K-Pound's radio. Uh, we're proud to present in our afternoon best friendship theater. Okay, Padman, go, go. Tommen and Pounds in space with Dr. To panic. Okay, great, great, great. Okay, okay. Sir Pounce, please repeat. What, 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 what do you mean? Well, man, why, why, me? I'm sorry, Sir Pounce. It's, uh, I think I, I can't understand you at all. That didn't even sound like a normal Sir Pounce. Uh, Sir Pounce, please tell me, uh, what, what happened after we launched the weapon. I can't go to Okay, uh, put, could you just put it up on the screen? It's easier for me that way. Say it and in, 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 in say it on the screen. Okay, Dr. Panic, re- read that to me. Okay, it says uh, uh, casualties 100%, sir. Uh, wh- what's the casualty? Red. Red, red what? I believe he means uh, casualties are at 100%. The entire universe of innocence is gone. Okay. What do you mean, gone, gone where? You've destroyed the entire universe of innocent people. Oh, okay. Uh, oh, you mean like, uh, gone for, gone, like my fa, like my father? Uh, exactly, sir. Oh, no. Uh, oh, dear, Sir Pounce, what, w- w- wait, I, I said, uh, uh, we sent, we sent Yes, I said to launch the destructivist weapons, sir. Uh, because they had said that mean thing to me. Uh, and I did not like it one bit. Oh, dear. So when it was all innocent people, we destroyed an entire... How many people were in that universe, uh, such uh, Sir Pounce? Run, Ryan. What did he say? Uh, we'll put it on the screen. What is that number? I believe that's a trillion, uh, two trillion, sir. Okay, uh, how many people were used to work in the uh, castle, the Space Academy castle, uh, 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 Dr. Panic, do you know? Ah, uh, 45. Uh, is that less than uh, two trillion? Okay. Okay, so bounces, are you saying a radio message is coming? Right. Okay, who would it, put it, put it up on the screen. It's it's too fuzzy. I can't see. Race from underwater. water. Well, it's underwater. Well, Mernice's Calpolina calling you. Is that Calpolina calling me? Calpolina, is that you? I cannot read. You are in a, in a, a, under the sea. Why did you destroy innocent people? Okay, Calpolina, I can't understand what you're saying at all. About the innocent people. Tom, and you destroyed an entire universe of innocent people. Oh, yes, uh, I can't understand you, Capolina. So good to see you. I love you so. We will be together soon forever, I believe. 
Bobby, could you you, uh, just tell me you love me and then say goodbye, blow me a kiss? And then we will see each other soon, Capolina, please? Tom, I don't know if I could ever love a man who would... Why would you destroy a universe of innocence? This again, Capolina, I can't read you, but if you're saying, uh, rhymes of uh, Kelpie finishings... Fishing, fishing nets. Oh dear. Uh, so, so Pounce, what did we remember to put those fish we caught? Uh, uh, oh, you did you eat all the fish? You went from out. Oh, after I took them out to clean the tank, I forgot. That was like two weeks ago. Oh, I'm sorry, Capulina. I did forget the fish. I apologize. Uh, two trillion innocent people because of you, Tom, and I could never. Love a man who takes life without such seriousness. Uh, serious, uh, serious, serious. Uh, Dr. Penn, can you tell me, can you not confirm what Kabbalina is saying and rephrase it in a way that does not make me feel like I'm going to cry? Or just, you know, um, Dr. Panic, do you know how to change? Did you hypnotize anyone ever? Could you hypnotize Capulina to love me? Tommen, you must turn back from the path you have taken and choose your own path. And then you may find some love. Goodbye from the kelp forest. Please change your ways. Uh, Okay, Capulina, I love you too. I will talk to you. Uh, so, sooner than better, please. Is she still there, Sapount? Rope. Rope. Uh, kelp rope or uh, fish uh, fish rope? And mission ruminated. Oh, Dr. Panic, could you try to explain things to me? Because I'm just so confused. Okay, Tom, and well, I think I believe Kelpling is not pleased that you destroyed... Why did you, uh... I was in the restroom while all this happened... We've been in the restroom for two weeks, Dr. Panic. Well, I'm not a human. I, I've used the restroom in a different manner than a human. Oh, goodness. Uh, no need to explain any more, please. But tell me, please, explain to me. So Kabbalina's not happy with me. Why? You destroyed an innocent universe of people. Two, two a trillion people, Domin. Uh, there are certain philosophies that believe the people of the sea are the most innocent of all people, so I'm sure Capulina could relate. Why, why would people of the sea be so innocent? They eat each other, and they've seen fish eat their own poop, remember? Well, yes, Domin, but they just, as a, as a bio spear, uh, closed, semi-closed, depending on, you know, only out uh, is a natural thing that goes on there, and they do not bully. Well, okay, okay, let me explain things to you while you were in the bathroom, Dr. Panic. Uh, the Queen of Confusion came, and she said, Oh, she, she, she sent me a secret broadcast into my mind in my room. Uh, well, you had a broadcast over the whole uh, PA system, sir. Okay, well, it's still secret between me and the Queen of Confusion. And it was a call that the Queen of Confusion accidentally sent to me. She didn't know I was watching, and she was on the uh, radio with Capolina. So I'm very confused right now, because she said she was talking to Capolina, 
I mean, I think she, 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 she was, I didn't see Capolina, but I heard bubble, bubble, bubble. And then she laughed a lot when she was talking about me. And the Queen of Confusion said, well, what would it take to make, you know, make you love Tom? And, and then they joked back and forth about me. But they didn't know I was listening. So I said, well, geez, I could cry and hold my breath, but no one's here. You know, Sapounce is running the ship. Uh, the mirror image man, I think we had some adventure, but I don't remember between when we got from last week. It was a week ago. Wherever the week happened, I don't remember. We lost that guy. You were in the bathroom, Dr. Panic. Sapounce was flying, so I guess it was between me and him. But, but Mother, I mean, the Queen of Confusion, she was on the phone with Calbalina. And Gabalin was saying, well, only I, I think I would more love a man who knows how to take charge, take a seahorse by the reins. So that's why I took the fish out. I said, are there any seahorses in here? But then I, and I, and I went back to listening because she said, well, geez, Queen of Confusion said, was talking about uh, well, lintel, I think, and how lintel... How the Queen of Confusion preferred to the opposite of a man, like a man. She said, Kebeline, wouldn't you like a man who is more like a boy, you know, easily to mold, more like a clay boy that you could mold and say, well, she said, I don't like it. Let me rearrange you. And, 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 and she said, you know, to model and to do with as you wish and then roll it up into a ball and throw it away when you are done. And then Calvalina said, oh, no, no. Again, I, I, and I was thinking about it. Queen of Confusion and Calvalina, they sound similar. Before, this time they sounded more like my, my, my tone. But this time it was when, when and, they, and again, they didn't know I was listening in. So I said, was well, this just is, is, is wrong? But then Calvalina said, uh, well, I know the man I would love. What would impress me is a man willing uh, willing to set an example. And I said, okay, a man. And I said, she said, wish I, could, I wish I knew my letters to write this down, but I should remember example. King, she loves king example. And I said, oh, who is this king example? And then they kept talking. She said, a man. She said, I've heard of this, Kebelina said, this this, this innocent galaxy of, of people who claim they have never done any wrong. They live in naturalness. They do not know of war or hatred or greed. An entire universe of interdependent planets, dependent on each other's kindness. All the species of the planet depend on each other help each other in, in, in the most natural way they're not even aware of it in a perfect symbiosis she i think she might have said and then i said well the king example is just a symbiosis mr perfect symbiosis and i said she's right and i think i, I, I that's when I, I i forgot about the fish right then that i had taken out of the tank and she said you know i'm tired of hearing about this uh, universe of the innocence and then, you know, neither, the world needs to know that there is no innocence. That, you know, even the people, my people of the sea, sometimes we have to eat. And sometimes, you know, queens 
whether queens of the sea or queens of a universe of confusion, do have to mold some clay and do have to say, well, geez, I'm going to use this clay to do what I want instead of what the clay wants, because the clay is meant to be molded and changed, not to make its own decisions, and the clay may claim it's innocent, like this universe of innocence. But as the clay walks the path meant for it by fate, or, or a proper queen, maybe not even a queen by title, maybe just someone that knows best, uh, they know that there is no innocence in this world. And therefore, why would there be a universe of innocent people and creatures living in love and harmony? And, you know, and then I I, I stopped listening. I, I'll be honest, Dr. Panic. I said, geez, sir, I'm really sick of this king's symbiosis. And I said, computer... Uh, what is the most destructive weapon? Do we have anything uh, universe-destructive level on this ship? And the computer said, oh, uh, uh, I can't remember the computer because I had to, the computer said, you know, talked back to me. And then they said, this is a command. What are you doing, Tom? And I said, override, override, override all commands. I am the uh, I'm in charge now. I've taken command, and for this, the innocents will pay for the king. I think I, I think I maybe I did hold my breath for a while. Maybe it was a dream. I dreamt of a whole this uh, king. I think it was two kings or a two-headed king. It was I think example symbiosis. Uh, the most perfect innocent king in the world. And I said, well, he must, him and his universe must go. Clearly that is what Kalpalina needs. And then I said, and he said, you, you, it's a trick. And I said, yes, it is. You're being tricked. And I am in charge. And I said, luckily, you know, I'm used to be, you know, having the power. So I had, when I, I knew if I said override, 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 Blue face breath, and I held my breath to that exact point again, where my brain was flashing with this uh, king, stupid king, that I would get my, you know, I would take control, and I, I launched the entire. Uh, they said they don't. There is no weapon. To, only thing that destructive. I, you know, I think I override the computer. I said, "Tell me, figure it out." It wasn't very unlike me. Okay, I'm still listening. This is amazing. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Thank you, Dr. Panic, for checking in. I said, this is a long thing. And so I said, the only way they figured out the only way to destroy it was the power plant of the pyramid station, pyramid base. And so then I said, oh, okay, uh, you know, send pyramid base. Uh, and I figured out, uh, override the coolant plant, launch full engine force into the uh, heart of universe of innocence. And I said, what is this star powered by gas or, uh, or molten core, a gas core, a liquid core? It is, uh, you know, confused with the engines inside. And I, and I collided it to the pyramid base with the sun and wiped out the entire universe of innocence. And I said, geez, I, and it, Dr. Panic, hear me out of this. I said, I, I was expecting to feel much better after, but I felt worse. I said, oh, boy. 
I'm hearing things in my ears, whistling and pitching. Did I hold my breath too long? That was what I first thought. And then I dreamed that I many things. I said, geez, I don't remember what I dreamed about. I said, well, but now with this call from Kelpolina, so what do you think, Dr. Panic? Did I mess up? Well, you are, uh, why, it's possible, possible is an error. Uh, possible, which was an error, the, what Kelpolina's saying, right, that she does not love me, because I think that's really what she said. I was trying to deny it for a while. Uh, I, I know this is uh, going to sound strange, but what if the Queen of Confusion was pretending to be Kelpolina, and you are the clay? Okay, does that make me innocent? No, it makes you uh, uh, guilt, uh, gu- guilty uh, of, uh, of uh, or a pawn. Uh, okay, Dr. Panic, you know you're fired and you need to launch yourself out of the airlock and I will continue on without your help for the next uh, rest of the mission. Well, what about I'm innocent? <laughs> you're not innocent, Dr. Panic. I've been in your lab well, I, mean, I, mean, I am innocent, actually, Doctor. I'm just a, a, a character to, for you to reflect your thoughts off of. I'm nothing but a a mirror that talks back to you. And you're about to be launched off. So, Pounce, computer, prepare the airlock for launching Dr. Panic out. Oh, yeah, well, goodbye, Dr. Panic. It was good working with you. Goodbye. Uh, so, Pounce, what do you think about that? Okay. Okay, well, so, Pounce, I don't know... Um, oh dear, I'm starting to feel heavy, Sir Pounce. Is Dr. Panic out of the airlock yet? No. Okay, Sir Pounce, uh, what should I do? Could you come sit in my lap, please? Oh, what a friend. Uh, who's steering the ship? Rerun. Who? Rerun? Rerun. You don't know. Okay, well, that's fine. So, Pounce, as I pet you, I feel like I need to take some time. Am I the clay? Am I the, was I tricked by the, the Queen of Confusion uh, to destroy an entire universe of innocent people thinking they were led by a perfect king? Oh, dear. Okay, and what should I do next, Sir Pounce? I don't know. I will need time to think about it and see how guilty I really am and what I need to do to make it right or fix it or... Sir Pounce, are you listening? You are? Okay, well, if you were Kelpolina, I know you're not Kelpolina, but if you were, say, could I save two trillion people to fix my wrong... Is it two, two, is that more than four? Two is more than four people, right? Right. Uh, with that, uh, what do you think, Sir Pounce? Well, I just need to sit here with pen pet my cat for a few days and, and figure things out as the ship goes where it goes. Dr. Panic is out. Hopefully he's gone. I don't have to hear him anymore rephrasing my thoughts. But one day... After petting my cat for a long time and calming myself, sis, I'm feeling much calmer already, Sir Pounce. How about you? Right. Oh, you love the when I pet you, Sir Pounce. It makes you feel great. It makes me feel you're like a, a, a therapy cat. 
If I could pet you, maybe I will pet the pounds two trillion times, and that will fix everything, and then I will know what to do next. So I will be here with my best friend, petting him and breathing and saying two trillion pets for my cat until I could figure out a way. Okay, that is the end of the episode. Okay, so please take over. You gotta say the okay pounds. Okay, okay. But I'm really upset now for faking. This is not acting. Okay, but just, uh, okay, Tom. I'll, I'll do it. Uh, thank you for listening to K-Pounce Radio. Uh, K-Pounce Radio. Until next time on Tom and Bounce in Space. Without Dr. Panic anymore. K-Pounce Radio. The radio of best friendship. Okay, thanks. Yes, I'm just... I'm having trouble breathing. What if I didn't make that story up? It just came out of me. And I don't know. It's making me think about this whole thing that's going on in the, you know, the other universe, the one you said I'm not allowed to talk about. I'm having trouble breathing. Okay, Tom, calm down. I'm going to pat your back. A lot of times patting people's backs works, okay? Like patting surpounds in the story, I said that would calm me down, but it's 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 not calming me down because I say, uh, I say, well, not even mother's coming for my calls now, and I don't know what to do, but I have a sense I've done something, made a mistake. Okay, just let me pat your back, Tom, and and know that everybody makes mistakes. Now, not everybody could be easily said, geez, that's just like a king of another universe, not a fan fiction universe or a fiction, you know, similar to a fictional universe. So, so similar. So similar. Uh, uh, you know, that may, could have made mistakes, too. And that king may have made mistakes. But the mistakes uh, aren't permanent yet. Yet, yet. Well, some of them. But, you know, they're not permanent yet, so let's just wait and see, and I'll pat your back for a little while, and then you'll go back to, you know, your hometown. And I'm sure with this story, as long as you pet Sir Pounce, maybe your mind will clear and you'll know what to do next before it's permanent. Well, in this story that you made up, you made that up, huh, Sir Tom, and right on the... I guess because I think I was feeling guilty. I said, I can't hide anymore from my shame. They always say that to me. And now I know what it means. No, I think it means something different, to be honest, because I've heard that before. Oh, they say that to you. That makes sense for you. But for me, I'm, you know, not like you. Yeah, you're not like me at all, at all, Tom. Not a, not a bit like me at all. Because uh, I have a dog, not a cat. Big, big difference between the two of us. But anyway, um, it'll be okay, okay? We'll just pat your back. We'll, we'll pat your cat in the story. And I'm sure that next week, uh, I'll talk to you next week, probably. I mean, I can't be sure of that, but it's okay. I'm sure I'm going to pat your back right now, and you're going to pet Sir Pounce, okay? Okay, Podman, you are, uh, you are... You know, of the lowest, you're the best of the lowest class right now. That's patting my back. Thank you. Oh, thanks, Tom. Thanks for the honor of yeah, calming you down. It's an honor to do. Oh, you, 
you're welcome for, for, for giving you the honor, but don't take it, you know. It's not going to be an official title or anything, backpatter. I have actually someone that's good, they, but they know how to massage too and, and not just pat. And also massage my ego. Ego, they say, massage your ego too. And they would say, not like you would say, they would say, oh, you are the wisest king. Could you say that? Okay, we got to go. Okay, thanks, Tom, and bye. Okay, bye. Uh, it's uh, time for my prayers. The old gods and the new Miller, Smith, Barky, Jester, Crone, sweet, sweet Crone. Uh, you know, I'm not praying to you in order of imper- appearance or ap- importance, just in order of, uh, you know, what came out of my mouth. Well, well, guys, I, you, you probably, I don't know, you've probably been with me the past time, but I said, she said, I don't know if you've been paying attention. You know, I know you're with me at all moments. Watching everything shameful I do to let me know I should be ashamed, but I don't know if you're with me and paying attention at the other times or not. You know, let me know when I should be ground up and, and you know, milled. Let me know when I should go into the Soul Forge and be, you know, smashed and reformed. Uh, let me know when the crone should wag her finger at me or the jester should laugh at me or Barky should say, uh, Russell, 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 or whatever the hell else you trees say. Uh, sorry, Barky, that sounded more aggressive than I meant it to sound. But, guys, you, if you're with me, you probably know I had one thing I was going to talk about up until last night when when we were watching that movie, which is a few years old, but I missed it somehow. And then it was on a watch list, but I don't know, a different watch list than the ones I'm on, Barky, uh, you know, Citizen Four watch lists. But a list of movies to watch, it was Exit Through the Gift Shop. And man, I did not know what I was in for, God's emotional journey or the movie itself, emotional journey. But I was, you know, unbelievably pleasantly surprised by it. Uh, I had no idea what I was getting into, but then, it, you know, so the movie is great. I don't know if what you got thought of it, maybe... I don't know where you fall in the icons thing. Like I said, I said, Jesus, some convenient icons in art, you know, you know, help, help keep the soul soulful, as maybe Bob Marley or somebody once sang. Uh, but then, it, you know, after the movie sunk in, they said, oh, boy, uh, you know, uh, precipice analysis alert, uh, PAA, or what is that, you know, abyss... Awareness alert, triple uh, A, AAA, well, that's probably uh, Precipice Abyss Awareness Alert, BP, Precipice Abyss Awareness, uh, P-triple-A, because uh, they said, oh, boy, what, what, you know, I've been trying to figure out this whole Midler thing, gods, and saying, talking about revenue models, and I said, geez, you know, and saying, well, we'll go with the Midler Dark Edition, Midler... Uh, Midler Conrad edition, and I say, man, maybe, maybe I've lost my way, gods, in this quest to create an app for people to complain into, collect their complaints, do you know, do something with them, both in the light edition or the Midler uh, Conrad edition with you know vengeance add-ons. But, you know, you guys probably know, you know, I'm afraid, I, you know, I'm not looking for fame, not really looking for fortune, but I said, geez, it would be nice not to have to worry. 
in the back of my mind, I said, well, geez, even if it's freemium, gods will figure out a revenue model or we'll get acquired, you know, by Yelp or somebody else. But then after watching Exit Through the Gift Shop, I said, oh, boy, gods, have I lost my way? Am I standing at the edge of a precipice or an abyss? Or is it, as Joseph Campbell says, uh, not as, or whoever says it, I think maybe Joseph Campbell Oh, God, I got to mention this book book recommendation. Joseph Campbell Companion. I don't know where the hell my copy of it is, but probably, when it, I think it's based on some lectures he gave. Holy moly, the greatest book I've ever owned, probably. That I don't know where it is. Given to me as a gift by my buddy Pat, my not my actual older brother, but... As a, uh, but someone kind of like an older brother to me. Um, but I said, Jesus, God, am I lo- losing my way? Should we just uh, Midlerize the world, so to say? You know, Midler it. Not so much as her, because I, I don't want to say Midler's a work of art or, you know, artistic, but I say, Jesus, doesn't the world need to complain? And wouldn't it be nice if they could complain whenever they wanted to? Wouldn't it be nice if they had an application that they could yell into? Sorry for the two and twos. Maybe they would yell and scream and then not take it out on me. And then they might be happy. Maybe then the world will be a nicer place for you and me. You used me in and two twice. Please don't criticize me, Midler, instead. That's a little Beach Boys cast. I had no intention of going off that tangent. Sorry about that. But as I said in that song, well, maybe I don't know what I said in there, but... Should Midler just be a gift to the world? Well, not a gift to the world, just something we make. You say, hey, you can make something and put it out there. Why the hell don't you just do that? And can you trust? I don't know. I really admire some of the attitudes and you know uh, that I saw for a few seconds. Some of the car- uh, uh, street artists, the Shepherd Fairy. Banksy, plenty of the other guys. You know, the one guy lost his way. It was a wonderful story, though. But I said, what, what, uh, what the hell are we doing here? We're taking something that could be wonderful, or, or maybe it isn't wonderful. Maybe you say, hey, this Midler sucks. Uh, you know, well, why don't we screw the revenue, not model gods? That's my proposal. Not, not, I'm not making a ruling because we're a team. Well, I guess we're not a te- I guess we're not a team because we're not a team of equals. Clearly, this is an unequal situation. I mean, clearly, I own, as I said, fifty-one percent of the decision making. Well, you guys have about a thousand and one percent of the power with your, you know, lightning and shame rays and whatever the hell, you know, you know, metaphysical weapons or you know, you'd have to look up metaphysical weapons to see what. But you know, you guys got can make buffs. You can use buffs. You're gods. So, you know, I'm not. So I'm not making a demand here for guys, but I'm saying, what if uh, we make Midler free, always free? And then you might say, well, how the hell are we going to make it? 
if we don't pay anybody. And then as the guys are probably whispering, well, we can't leave this guy in charge. Clearly, he keeps coming. Every week, he's got a new wacky idea. Wait till you hear my latest idea at the end, gods. But I say, I don't know. And I say, yeah, you know, you, know, you guys are gods. So you don't have to worry about eating or rent or that kind of stuff. But you say, geez, maybe you don't have to either. Maybe you could trust us. Uh, trust mysterious gods, you know, that have, you know, uh, you know, uh, not clear on 100% of what you've done for me. Challenges you've, you know, you've met we, me with in difficulties. He said, Jesus are learning opportunities from the gods. And then, you know, somebody say, I'm learning to notice the nice stuff. I'd probably thank you for that. Then I say, but, uh, you know, no concrete evidence. Just hear me out, guys. I don't know where. I guess don't hear me out because I got lost in my thoughts. They say, geez, I guess that's what faith is trusting you guys, even when you don't do anything, apparently. Apparently is the, you know, put in parentheses or quotes or brackets. And they say, well, geez, you're, now you're doubting. You, you can't get anything. That's the uh, paradox of faith, as you gods would probably put it in a contract. Uh, the paradox of faith, according to the old gods and the new, is that without full faith, you don't get nothing. With full faith, you don't really notice it because you got faith. You say, hey, I got stuff. Uh, but if you say, where's my stuff? You don't get any stuff. And if you say you need stuff, then you don't realize you got what you need. You know, can't always get what you want. You got what you need. Oh, yeah, you can't. Always complain. Oh, yes. You complain sometimes. If you complain sometimes, you just might try. Middle for your complaint needs. Oh, yeah, guys. I went down to the corporate drugstore to get a soda and some band-aids. They asked me if I had a membership card to get a discount. And then I, it was wicked complicated, and I felt like I was being... I said, I decided I would buy a soda. My favorite flavor. Maybe cherry or pepper, cherry, Dr. Pepper. I don't know, guys. Uh, sorry, two musical interludes. That one was not good. Midler. Bad musical interlude, Midler. Uh, but so, guys, I don't know. That's what I'm saying. I say, geez, I don't know. Is Midler not art? Because as soon as you call it art, you say, oh boy, you're calling yourself art. You fucking hit the road. Uh, but in some sense, we wouldn't be art. We'd be a uh, we'd be like uh, selling paintbrushes and uh, you know sticky. We'd be like the kinkos of exits through the gift shop, gods. Now, whoa, boy! Now we're talking faith activated by the gods. Form of kinkos. We could be the kinkos of complaining, Midler. The kinkos of complaining, but kinkos might sue us. I don't know if Ken, I don't think Kinko's is still in business, guys. I think it changed its name, so we might be safe. But that's it, Midler. Kinko's of complaining, just like the Kinko's and exit through the gift shop. Midler lets you create, you know, whatever the hell complaining you want to do. If you want to do some straight ass, you know, mathematical cop complaining, you know, you can make a copy of the math stuff at Kinko's. 
But if you're an artist, you say, geez, I want to print out some big-ass shit, you know, and cut it out there. And it's a giant Andre the Giant head, cool as hell. You can do that, too. Uh, Midler, we say, geez, you can complain in a regular complaining. You can complain statistical-based complaints. You know, you could upgrade for free. Well, we say maybe we won't do the Conrad edition, or maybe we'll do it different without actual vengeance. Or maybe that'll be a super secret thing. We say you want to do some more artistic complaining, like singing musical interludes, do it. You want to do drawing complaining, do it. You want to post some complaints and take a picture of it, uh, do it. You want to do a video, uh, do it. You want to do a uh, diorama, complaint dioramas, Midler. You know, do a diorama. We could either do it in the app or you take a picture of it or we do a 3D rendering of a diorama. Guys, I know you can hear you. the costs are adding up and it's going to be free. And you say, whoa, boy. Yeah, can't we know? Uh, maybe that's a bad example. Where the spirit of Kinko was in the movie Exit Through the Gift Shop. How How's that sound, gods? Or TBD, you know, to be decided. Uh, but I got to tell you about the other wacky idea. We'll think about this, gods. Discernment City, well, you know, population me discerning that. Another thing for us to discern is I saw a truck. I seen it twice on my ride home from work, both times on a Friday, I think. Uh, towing behind the truck is a trailer. On the trailer were freezers labeled Dipping Dots Incorporated. Now you guys will probably have to access one of your God databases. Dipping Dots were, have been the ice cream of the future for 40, 40 years, I think. Probably, maybe even more, I have no idea. Uh, but they're like uh, little tiny ice cream balls. Like a mini mochi ball, guys. Maybe you've had a mochi ball in the last few years if you've... Uh, if you shop at Trader Joe's like me or you've eaten at a uh, establishment that says, here's your dessert, it's a mochi ball. Uh, they're like ice cream, I think in a rice uh, rice type of uh, gelatin. That's not a Dippin' Dot. Dippin' Dot's just a little piece of freeze-dried ice cream circle. I have no idea how they're made, gads. Probably, could, probably a million videos on YouTube about it. But for the, everywhere it says it's a, a ice cream in the future because it's a little tiny balls instead of a lump of ice cream. And then at some point, somebody must, in the last 10 years, somebody bought Dippin' Dots. And they said, hey, let's take it out of the, it was used to be only in state fairs and theme parks. And maybe county fairs. But they said, hey, let's put it in some malls. You might even be able to buy it in a store now. But I was thinking, not part of our launch party, but you see acquisitions out of the box, like you see, sometimes Uber, they would like deliver cupcakes or Christmas trees or something. Now you had to be rich to do that. So we want to say, well, we don't maybe we don't need to be rich for this. But but here's my proposal, gods. Just hear me out. It's it's semi thought out. We acquire Dipping Dots or a Dipping Dots license. It's dip in. There's no G in it. I think Dipping Dots. Maybe we just create Dipping Dots. But here's what we say, guys. Dipping Dots dipped. The future is here. We take Dipping Dots, Dipping Dots, we dip them in some sort of chocolate, white chocolate, peanut butter, yogurt, you know, some sort of thing. You take Dipping Dots, Dipping Dots, dip them. Dipping Dots dipped. The future is here. Midler. There's nothing to complain about. I don't have the second tagline yet, guys, but it's like ice cream. You can't complain. But with Whit Midler, you can. Uh.
Dippendots. Dipped. The future is here. No need to complain. Uh, something, something, middler for your complaints. I can't, I don't know. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll brainstorm it. But I let you dip into the future is here, middler. Dip and dots dipped. The future is here, middler. Uh, we see, well, you got to figure out the witty tagline in there. No need to complain. Uh, no need to complain. Mid- future is here. No need to complain. Middler. A little wordy. A little wordy, guys. I don't know. Anyhow, that was my crazy idea, but then I saw the exit through the gift shop, and I had that uh, come to uh, Crone, Miller, Smith, Barkey, uh, Jester moment, you know. And then I said, okay, maybe I got to change my tune uh, to, you know, and you guys don't need any revenue. So in a non-revenue-based model, gods, uh, well, you, you, I would only lose. I would be the only one losing out on the revenue now. If you guys did, if you guys did some work, I don't want to say fair share because I don't want to get any, you know, get your smoke meters on. They said, "Geez, if you threw in some work here, other than the uh, inspirationally planning, planning of great ideas, which I appreciate, you know, I wouldn't have come up with that uh, Kinko's thing." Well, you know, a little bit extra, I say, geez, you just some, you know, I don't want to say manual labor because I know that God's is like hey, saying uh, Queen of Thorns, uh, scrub my floor type thing. Uh, I don't know. God's think about it. Think about it. And just, you know, maybe you snack on some dipping dots, take human form, hit up a county fair, hit up a, you know, double check the malls first. Theme parks, I'm sure most of them still have one dipping dot stand. Just adds up the price will make you smoke the, don't smoke the person working there. They just work there. So don't smoke anybody. Just say, Midler, this is seven bucks for a freaking thing of ice cream. I don't even know if it's, I don't even know if I've had Dippin' Dots, gods. But Dippin' Dots dipped. The future is here, gods.